Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to a very special edition of the Empire Podcast. This is our annual review of the year podcast. It is an epic podcast in which I and my three colleagues of such lethal cunning get together and we argue the toss about the year that was, or in this case, very nearly wasn't. But this was the year the cinema fought back from the COVID-19 pandemic and we had all kinds of great stuff getting us into the multiplexes and sitting down in front of a big old screen with a big bucket of popcorn and watching the movies. Very, very exciting stuff. And those three colleagues of such lethal cunning are Geek Queen Helen O'Hara. Hello. Great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hi. You said hi. I was so expecting you to start talking about Dune already. <laughs> Dune! 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 Shut, shut up, Chris. I know there were other movies released this year technically, <laughs> but this was the year of Dune. It was the year of Dune. Uh, and we will have another year of Dune as well. It's going to be the decade of Dune. Woo! Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, and I love that film. So also not Jesus Christ, but also <laughs> Jesus Christ as in our Lord and Savior. Mm. Jesus Christ. Oh, sorry, yes. Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm in a musical mood now, which brings me nicely on to Benny Boy Travis. In the Heights was robbed. I just oh had, to get, I had to get that in as soon as possible. Uh, uh. I love how we're out of sync, Helen. This is great. <laughs> Oh, is we sound in sync from here? In sync, like oh, sync. Oh my god! <laughs> I want it that way. I reached for Tell an in sync song, and I could think of absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't an in sync song. Isn't I wasn't that, sure. Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys. Backstreet Boys. I don't know. What is an in Yes, that is also. Whatever you're singing, I have never encountered that song. You've never you heard Bye what? Bye Bye by NSYNC. No. That was the big one. They were they were puppets oh, in the video. That's NSYNC? That's NSYNC. That's, NSYNC. that's so, dreadful. And Chris's one was Backstreet Boys, right? Chris's was yes. Backstreet Boys, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, I sang along, but only because I couldn't resist. Obviously, you have to sing along if, if I wanted that. If I had to pick on, yeah. one, I would pick the Backstreet Boys. All right. Anywho. Really? Okay. Yeah. Everybody. Anyway. Yeah. Because Backstreet's back. All that's right. right. There we go. So it's anyway. COVID. COVID's back. <laughs> yes. Co. Bids back. All right. All right. Not no, all not right. Actually. No, not all right. <laughs> I just okay. took a lateral flow test and I do not have COVID. I'm pleased to report. So that's good. Well, Where did you insert it? Orally or rectally? Wow. I've been making a huge mistake. <laughs> yes. <They're> not, <laughs> lateral flows are not suppositories? Wow, this has blown my mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, maybe not your mind. But anyway. Um, all right. So anyway, hello. Welcome all to the review of the year. We can do this in a number of ways. Uh, we we have some we have some listener is questions. That an option? Well, this is how I roll. Um, we have some listener questions. We could we could discuss some of those as things go. We could go month by month if you wanted to go that way, and we no. could kind of look back at some of the highlights of the year. No, all right. No. Listener questions. It is. Yeah. Listener questions. It is. All right. Well, first things first. Let's get a general overview of the year. It sucked. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> no, it, but it, it did. It started it did. with, um, in this country, four solid months of lockdown through dark, gloomy, depressing weather. Um, more than four months, actually. It the, was, because it was, wasn't it like six end yeah, it was to end? Six or, it started I mean, before Christmas and, and it just and stretched on. It just it just mm. went on forever. And and even when it things opened up, they didn't feel like they did. And, and now they feel like everything is doom and gloom again. I, I'm trying not to be a downer, but you know, it's not been a great year for the world and no. human civilization and stuff like that. Don't even get me started on the climate crisis and all that. Anywho, um, oh, Christ, however, we'll be here all year. movies, 
you know, did happen. We, and that we is got some. <laughs> good. We got some at last. People were like, okay, the pandemic is still going on, but fuck this, we got to put these things in cinemas already. Mm. So, I mean, thank God there was something to look forward to and something to keep us going. And even in lockdown, there were things like Barb and Star at home. So, you know, these things oh. matter. They do, they do help. They do make a difference to people's lives, to people's mental health. I, I 100% believe that. I know I've said it before a million times, but it's true. And um, and movies helped. I got to, personally, I got to go to my first can. Well, I went once before, but like for three days and I saw one film. That didn't count. This time I got to go for, well, okay, six days and saw nine films. So it wasn't 100% can. I still want to do a full can. It, w- but it wasn't a can, it was, but it wasn't a can't. Exactly. Hmm. It was a uh, maybe can. It was a weird can to be at. It was masked. It was. Was your um, can half full or half empty? <laughs> I <laughs> guess Stella it was. Artois. <laughs> I definitely didn't have Stella Artois. It was like I don't know Perrier or something. My God, no. I I tried to make it a half full can. I did, uh, and, okay. and I I saw some really great films, and I got to you know go into the Palais and see actual films in the Palais. That was exciting. I got uh-huh. to do good interviews with good people, uh, but but it was a weird can by any normal measure. So yes, I, I, it, it, it was a weird year, even at its best. Uh, compared to 2020, how was Because I thought 2020 was a year of utter despondency. And, mm. um, you know, but this year, this year, I thought bounced back a little bit. You know, we, we yeah. got to see each other. We yeah. got to be in person. We got to do, you know, we're doing this in squad cast right now, but uh, hopefully in the new year, we'll be back in the studio. And I loved being back in the studio. Yeah. And I loved being back in, in the cinema, watching big movies. I mean, I've talked at length. You, you may have heard the regular podcast in which I talked about, you know, just the, the joy and euphoria I felt watching Spider-Man No Way Home yeah. in a packed screening with people reacting like it was a fucking football game. That I absolutely adored. And, uh, you know, so for me, that felt like an improvement. I did set visits. I did a couple of set visits, not as many as I normally would have done. And certainly the, for now, at least, the notion of flying to other countries to interview people seems to have gone by the wayside. But uh, but fingers crossed, hopefully it'll it'll start coming back. I hope so. So in that way, for me, 2021 was an improvement over 2020, for sure. I mean, it, comparing the two feels like going Venom or Venom Let There Be Carnage. Which one was better? Hey, and ultimately, ben, we're doing films the year later on. We're doing films the year later on. Okay, easy now. Ultimately, both a big bag of shite. Uh, there were some nice things towards the end of this year. Uh, the, things definitely improved in the summer. I had a lovely day in the summer um, with with Chris, you, and Helen, and Fuller, and we saw movies and we sat in the park the movies and that was a real like oh things feel a little bit normal again i wasn't um, invited so fuck you well, you, <laughs> yeah, were you were invited, invited. You, you literally were invited you made your choice dire and but as as great as some of the moments of this year have been in terms of getting to go to big films again and having cinemas reopening at times mm. Uh, first half of the year was was rough. It was really bad for in a lot of ways. I, I found this year harder than last year, and uh, the movies definitely helped. Genuinely, I went to see In the Heights like three or four times in the cinema through the summer because it was just two and a half hours of singing and dancing with uh, a, a nice level of stakes, reassurance that everything will be okay oh, in the stakes. end. Uh, lovely, lovely songs, and that was like my cinematic therapy for the year. Yeah. I, I've actually 
found myself gravitating towards long films. I know for a long time uh, we've all been going, oh, every film needs to be sort of 20 minutes shorter. This was the year that I was like, no, I will happily go and sit for two and a half hours in a cinema and just be somewhere else for a while. And mm. and that was uh, a really wonderful escape. You can't understate that. You really yeah. can't. Just the need to escape. When you physically can't escape from anything, not even your fucking house. I think the cinematic escape has become so important, which is why, and I, I've wrote about this in my little sort of like pay end to Dune in our uh, in our review of the special, but the fact that that film is so transportational, the way it takes you to Arrakis, and you do feel completely detached from your regular life, I think mm-hmm. is an absolute godsend. And seeing that, I was just like, it's like I hadn't forgotten why I love the cinema, but watching that film, just everything I love about the cinema was in that film. Yeah. Like, it was just wonderful. And I think I've needed that an awful lot this year. I think during that initial lockdown period when we were stuck in the house, I think we had a couple of things here. I think in 2020, as much of a fucking bin fire as that year was, we had a lovely, lovely summer. And I think being in lockdown, but being able to go for walks outside made a big difference. We got a shitty rainy summer this year. And I think that, and then being stuck inside for such a long period at the beginning of the year made it very, very bleak. And escapism has certainly been the way that I got through that. Me, obviously, being pilot man, TV was a big part of that. For me, it was rewatches. It was like, I did the whole of Game of Thrones. I did the whole of Peaky Blinders. You know, I did a number of sort of lights. I did the whole of Line of Duty. I did all of these again, back to back, because for that 70 odd hours of Game of Thrones, I wasn't in my front room for the thousandth hour on end i was well being mauled by wildlings or cut up by white walkers this is not a great well, analogy but you know hey, what i mean whatever gets you through jimbo yeah, exactly. whatever gets you through. but it took me it took me out of this yeah yeah it, it, this is the thing and and you know whether it's games or books or tv or movies or all of the above which i think is true for most of us to some mm, degree or another definitely um, not games for me but you know the rest um it 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 is so so important. I reread all of Wheel of Time ahead of the the TV show starting. <laughs> how did um, you do that? <laughs> you know, Helen, Helen did it just then, just now. She did literally. <laughs> That's how far she reads. More just, input. But this is it. Like it just it just felt like being taken out of myself and taken out of my own head for, a, well, in that case, about a month actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was it's 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 just. Uh, it's such a gift. It is such a gift. Art. This is why people wax lyrical about art. Whatever art does it for you. I would actually. I'll also sign highbrow for a minute. I'll say the Yayoi Kusama exhibition at the Tate also has the same effect. It takes you out of yourself for a minute and and brings you somewhere else. And you know anything that does that is magic. Football. Hello, football. Football, football does that for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely does it for me. But I genuinely do not know how you guys find the time. There's also uh, Jamie Graham of Total Film. Uh, who's a lovely, lovely guy. I don't know how he does it. He's extraordinary. Uh, He sees about three times the films I see every year. Plus, he sees every TV show in its entirety, it seems like. And the other week he tweeted, he tweeted, just going back in to get back for a third time. And it's like, hang on a second, mate. That's that's literally eight hours. A third time means you spent a day of your life watching (laughs) Get Back. Now, I love Get Back. And hopefully we'll be talking about Get Back as the show goes on, because I think it's one of the highlights of the year for me. But that's like, how do you do that? Plus balanced life stuff and watch other things and like breathe and sleep. I don't understand. Chris, a day in the life is on Abbey Road. That's not on. uh, Oh, sorry, Ben. uh, Sorry. I've been deducted two wrinkle points for for that. (laughs) Um, I, th- I think Chris that um, he's basically using the time you spend watching MasterChef, The Professionals. She's not wrong. Hey, hey, don't knock it. Don't knock it. I'm All not right? knocking it. I'm just saying. I'm saying that's that's where the time goes. 
We're no. in the finals week right now, oh, and no. uh, I'm I'm going to Northern Ireland tomorrow night, and so we're going to have to. My wife and I are going to have to wait. We, we can't watch the final. I'm, I'm having to avoid spoilers. It's Spider Man No Way Home all over again. It's oh, no. I I oh, I feel like I'm in purgatory. It's awful. Anyway, mention of Spider Man No Way Home and spoilers brings me on to a very important thing that I think we should lay down some ground rules for this this uh, review of the year. Now it is a review of the year. Naturally, we will be talking about films in the past tense. We will be assuming for the most part that you will have seen these films. We will be discussing spoilers, Bond, Dune, Dune. big films like that. We haven't seen The Matrix Resurrections, or rather, should I say, three of the people in this room haven't seen The Matrix (laughs) Resurrections at the time of recording this. Why, God, why? So we're not going to be talking about the Matrix Resurrections. We're going to try, where possible, to um, to respect the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home, by the time you listen to this, will only will have only been out for about 10 days or so. So we're not going to go pell-mell into Spoiler Street uh, with that. But at the same time, there are certain things, certain topics and certain conversations and questions coming up that may require us to talk about it a little bit. So... We'll try and tread carefully, but at the same time, we have to we have to we have to be able to talk about this stuff a little bit with it, with some degree of impunity. But we'll try and be careful. Anyway, shall we get into it? Yeah. So, first question comes from Twitter. Uh, in fact, they all come from Twitter. Twitter has become sentient <laughs> entity and is, in the absence of Jack, is now just spamming my DMs. No, uh, this one is from at Jammin two eight four six. I love these usernames. Which one or two star films have you enjoyed the most this year? Oh, what do we give one and two stars to? This is a good question. What I've got, what I've done as a potential aid for myself, an aid de memoir, if you will, mm. is I have opened up 12 windows uh, from Film Distributors oh, Association, uh, one for each month. And I'm just going to go through them and you can try get to jog my memory. One window, that way. I think. No, not all one window, but I've opened up 12 tabs. Okay. There is a two-star official Empire verdict for a film that is, to me, a five-star, three-star movie. (laughs) And that is, of course, the glorious monster mash that was Godzilla vs. Kong. If we're talking about escapism this year, if we're talking about the right film coming along at the right time, as we've established, after some of the bleakest months at the very start of the year, this horrible first lockdown, and then suddenly... We get the film that I was waiting for from the MonsterVerse all along, not just because it clashed those two title characters, but because it was, I don't know, 110 minutes. It's less than two hours. You get a couple of whacking great fights uh, between all your named monsters. The first one comes like half an hour in. And at the midway point of that film, it just goes fucking stupid in the best way and every five minutes it gets stupider and stupider and more fun and more fun to the point of reaching some kind of fun stupidity nexus event um some of the stuff that goes down in the final act of that film just had me absolutely cackling i watched it at home first because they released it um on pvod and then when cinemas reopened again that was the first thing i did the first night cinemas reopened i went to a, a genuinely terrible cinema in my local area. <laughs> it was a bad cinema. It was a uh, very, very echoey in there. They 
didn't have a working Tango Ice Blast machine. We are at the very end of 2021 and I have still not had a Tango Ice Blast. I'm deeply upset. I got denied a Tango Ice Blast at the West Side Story screening, which is maybe one of the most upsetting things that's happened to me this year. Um, but I swear you give it one star. <laughs> I saw Godzilla vs. Kong on the big screen and just pure spectacle, but it's so stupidly, knowingly stupid and fun and gave me the monster stuff that I was hoping for all along. So I have such a soft spot for that film. Your reaction to that film gave me whiplash because I remember how, how sort of like venomous you were about Godzilla King of the Monsters. Didn't you oh, give it one star? I gave it one star. I went yeah. nuclear on it and I still don't regret it. I think that film is, is shockingly bad. <laughs> and then you and, came back and, from this and you were like, four stars, it's a masterpiece. It's like, what the fuck is going on? I have to say, and I hate, I hate to ever validate Ben's just almost sociopathic optimism when it comes to some films, <laughs> especially his penchant for genuinely redeemable films. However, The Rise of Skywalker a is little, a good movie. Sure. Oh my God. But with this, I'm kind of with you for exactly the same reason. So I was watching it. I was like, okay, this is fine. This is fine. This is stupid. This is stupid. This is really stupid. My God, what the fuck is happening? Why is King Kong swinging a battle axe at a giant robot? Like genuinely, it's just so unashamedly stupid but properly fun. And it's just like watching a giant lizard and a giant ape do essentially WWE moves on each other in a giant, you know, metropolitan city center. I was like, I'm, I'm kind of here for this. <laughs> this Maybe why CGI was invented. If we're doing small spoilers, if you've not seen Godzilla versus Kong, you don't want to know, skip forward literally like 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> this is your warning. Go towards the end of this film. Kong is on the ropes, he's basically dead, and they use a spaceship as a defibrillator to bring Kong back to life so that he can team up with Godzilla to fight Mechagodzilla. If that's it's not amazing. the fucking best thing that's ever happened, I don't know with what is. giant magic battle, battle axe. axe that he got from the centre of the earth. With, which is, where he which he got from the centre of the earth. And, and he has powered. a throne. It's a nuclear battle axe, which has been essentially <laughs> energised and powered up by Godzilla. <laughs> Where do you get your battle axes from I mean, if it's not the from the centre of the Generally. earth? I mean, come on. Yeah. Godzilla eBay, blasts usually. a hole through from the top from the, <laughs> from the through to the centre of the earth. The and, and then and him then... And, God, and Kong have a yeah. staring match through the hole that he's just blasted in the ground. He bores a hole and uses it to essentially curse out God, uh, <laughs> King Kong in godzilla ease. It's just, it's, it's, it's glorious. Incredible. It's I love it. <laughs> Two stars. It's not what good. the hell? John Nugent, we need good. to have words. Like, it's amazing, but it's not good. Like, Can we not agree on that? <laughs> exactly. I mean, Five star, three star yeah, movie. There's some truth to that. <laughs> Five star, two star movie. <laughs> what about some of the films we gave two stars to this year? Uh, would you go to bat for Free Guy? I saw a lot of people say they you really know, enjoyed Free Guy. I, I didn't hate it. And I haven't um, I haven't thought of it with, with dislike since. You know, I think there's some really cute stuff in there. He just about manages to get away from his usual shtick, which he's kind of he doing being for Ryan long Reynolds, periods. Of course. Him, him being Ryan Reynolds, yes. But there is there is a little bit of inventiveness to it. I just I, I didn't love elements of the last act, but I think there's some there's some really fun stuff in there. 
And yeah. uh, Free Guy was my I feel like I'm taking crazy pills moment of the year because we gave that two stars and then I heard loads of wonderful things and I was like, do you know what? No, I'm, I'm up for some fun video gamey Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer. Yeah, let's go and see this. And I, yeah, I thought it was bad. I thought it was a, a very confused film that didn't know what it was. Is it about Ryan Reynolds realizing he's in a video game? Is it about them trying to save the world? Is it a love story between two separate sets of characters at the same time? It tries to do all of those at once. And to me, it just ended up being about nothing. And then those mo- it gave you some really cheap moments at the end, which I think I was maybe exactly in the Venn diagram of who that was for. And I didn't want it. I didn't like it. So Free Guy, I have to say, was a miss for me. And and I yeah, I yeah. really struggled to get my head around why um, it's it's been so beloved by people. But I'm glad that people enjoyed it because we all need what we've enjoyed in this horrible, horrible year. Yes, and we would absolutely never deign to tell anybody that they were wrong for liking a film. Unless, of course, that film is Venom Let There Be Carnage. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have to confess. So. Oh I watched Venom Let There Be Carnage with my hate hat, as it is generally, firmly pulled down on my head. Like Do I was you going in. Have a hate hat? I have a hate hat, yes. It's a hat full of hate that I wear when I see things. Anyway, wow. you know what? I, 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 it, I didn't hate it as much as I almost certainly should have done. No, James. Like, no. Steady I'm on. Aware, steady on, James. I'm aware well, too it's much bad praise. watching it. I'm aware also it's a bit hateful as well. And yet, there's something about the interplay between Eddie and, Hello, Eddie, I am a crazy symbiote. Like, there's just, I I really quite enjoyed that. Whenever Woody Harrelson was on screen, I wanted to punch him in the face. Like, that was awful. And Naomi Harris generally turns in a career at worst performance. But but I just, Tom Hardy and Venom, I've, I've warmed to them as a duo a little bit, if not the films in any way, and anything that goes on in the films, or the plots. Yeah. And Michelle Williams should fire everyone connected to her career for being in those films. But but that, that Hardy makes them quite appealing. I have a thick suspicion if you were to ask Michelle Williams about the Fenna movies in a few years, she'd go full Gwyneth Paltrow and go, what are those? <laughs> what, what, what are those? Oh, I didn't oh, do that. that sounds Was like, I in that? that? Yeah, me? Really? Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> that hair? Was that my hair? That wasn't my hair. <laughs> I can't I can't have done that. Um yeah, I'm I'm only I'm only kidding a little bit. I I think that James is right. The interplay between uh, Eddie and Venom was uh, was one of the saving graces of the movie. Uh, everything else, perhaps not so much. But uh, but it is it is another one of those big hits that we just didn't really click with. Mm. And I haven't clicked at all really with that that side of what is now lamentably no longer known as Spunk. Uh, <laughs> it is such a shame that they spunked that away, uh, Sony and the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters is now just what's it the Spider-Verse I don't know whatever it's called anyway uh, so those are two star films that I didn't that, that we perhaps agreed with was the star ratings here's a weird one for me in that we gave this one three stars but I think we were a little bit out of step with this one uh, also and most people would give it two or even in some cases one and yet I didn't mind it and I also thought it had low-key one of the most eye-catchy performances of the year. And that is Mortal Kombat. <laughs> You're kidding. I fucking hated Mortal Kombat. I <laughs> fucking hated it. Josh Lawson as Kano, I want to say. Uh, yeah, admittedly, he is, was genuinely very funny. <laughs> he's one of those, It's one of those great performances where he's in a completely different movie yeah, to everyone else. Yeah, yeah. And he is just so funny when he's on screen and the movie wastes him completely, literally and figuratively, ultimately. Um, slight spoiler for Mortal Kombat, <laughs> but uh, no everything else I, I wasn't at all um, 
kind of mesh him with. But every time Josh Lawson, who's a great Australian actor, um, it maybe go down a little bit of rabbit hole of Josh Lawson stuff. He popped, he pops up in a couple of episodes of Superstore, that great sitcom that came to an end uh, recently as well. And uh, some people pointed me in the direction of improv that he has done on uh, a show, an Australian show called "Thank God You're Here," and uh, he's really, really, really funny. So mm. yeah, so there you go, Josh Lawson. When you first mentioned Mortal Kombat, I was like, oh, I didn't see that. And then you kept talking and I realized, oh, I did. <laughs> I, did. I, did. <laughs> I, did. I, see. I very much saw that. Um, so that's how much impression that made. It also has Joe Taslim in it. And while he may not yes. shine dramatically uh, as a Bihan slash Sub-Zero, uh, I, I've got a lot of time for him. Uh, certainly his action sequences are fantastic. He's really good in Jonathan Tropper's Warrior, um, which, is, which is a really good show, which I highly recommend people watch. All right. Okay. okay. So we have another question. Let's do it. This one comes from at Lauren Damon. Best use of Adam Driver this year. <laughs> I thought he was great in No Time to Die wow. as the uh, as as Safin's underground base. Uh, that guy has <laughs> such range; it's incredible. So, to my knowledge, there were three Adam Driver movies this year. Yeah, there was Annette. Mm-hmm. There was The Last Duel, mm-hmm. and, and there Gucci. was House, House of Gucci. Gucci. <laughs> House of Gucci. It's House Gucci of Chris. Gucci. It feels like there were more. It feels, it feels like a missing like there were one. More. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? it feels That's because weird. the shadow of Rise of Skywalker casts long and dark. Yes. Whilst I'm Googling Adam Driver furiously, and I say Googling Golly. Adam Driver furiously, um, someone else talk about things. <laughs> well, I will say that I absolutely adored Annette, and I wasn't necessarily expecting to. I was a bit like, yes. I was actually sent out to Cannes to do those interviews, to do the Annette interviews, and and I was kind of intrigued by it, certainly, but not necessarily sure that I was going to adore it. And then, I, it, yeah, it won me over. He he sings, uh, he sings stand-up abuse comedy, uh, which is impressive. He also sings oral sex. Which is, I don't know if that's impressive or not. I leave that to your judgment. I don't want to. I want it that way. <laughs> oh, God. That is literally how you do it, yes. <laughs> so, so Annette's probably my number one. I think he's very impressive in The Last Duel. And I think he has a really interesting fine line to walk there because he is the character who people see very uh, our character people see very differently in the different accounts in that film so it's a sort of yes. Rashomon he said he said she said kind of structure and so he kind of almost plays three different characters in that and his own story shows him to be an oblivious rapist fuckface uh, frankly um but uh but he's but he's very good in it and he is one of the few people that emerges from the house of Gucci I think with with any sort of dignity um, he has a, what an you element. Mean? What do you mean? No, but like funny, he, yeah, he, is, he is doing a, an Italian accent, but it's not quite as offensive. I would say I'm not Oki an Italian. Doki. Please tell me if I'm wrong. But it doesn't I'm seem quite Mario. as offensive as some of the rest. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would. Uh, for me, it's Annette, but uh, he didn't have a bad year. That's for sure. He had a very good year. Ben, you interviewed him and, and lived to tell the tale. I, I, I thought, you know, because he, he can sometimes have a reputation as a, as a forbidding interview subject, but I mm. thought you, you disarmed him beautifully. Thank you. Can I say one of the weirdest things that happened to me this year, which is that, uh, yes, I interviewed Adam Driver for the podcast. I had not posted anywhere that I was interviewing Adam Driver. It was for House of Gucci. <laughs> I had not tweeted that I had seen House of Gucci. I had not tweeted anything and not put it out anywhere that I had either seen the film or that I was interviewing Adam Driver. I interview Adam Driver for the podcast, 
And then about half an hour later, I get followed by a Twitter account called Ask Adam Driver Better Questions. <laughs> Which then I was like, is this Adam Driver? What is going on? Um, but luckily on that account, there was like an Adam Driver bingo card of answers that he gives to the questions that he always gets asked. And I don't think I ticked anything off that bingo list. So I'm hoping it was a good interview. I had a nice time with him. But yeah, that was a very, very strange experience. I don't know who that was. Is that somebody in his camp? Is that somebody at the studio? Who, like, what is going on there? If anyone can help me solve this mystery, I would be thrilled. I feel like that person might have followed all of us around that time. So I think, because I, I certainly, they're following me as well. So I think they maybe are just a fan and just decided to follow all of Empire. <laughs> they don't follow me because they recognise that I am incapable of asking people better questions. <laughs> Such as what attracted you to the project? What attracted you to asking Adam Driver better questions? What what is on the uh, the bingo card? Can you? I can't find that tweet. Ben, can you find it? Oh, it was a while ago. It was it was one of their most recent tweets uh, when I had just done the interview because I think the first round of Gucci interviews was already kind of getting out there. So he was fully in junket mode. I would absolutely adore it though if Adam Driver had a burner account on Twitter <laughs> and just. And just passively aggressively followed people mm-hmm. <laughs> like, afterwards. Ask me better questions, you mothers. Uh, yeah, if we can find that bingo card and go through it later on, we will. Uh, for me, Adam Driver, yeah, I, I, I like The Last Duel an awful lot, but yeah, it's a net. It's a net for me. And a net, I think principally, it's the opening song of a net, mm. which is So May We Start, which is one of my tracks of the year. Here's one from at Garaldino. Which films do you think suffered the most from the reduction in cinema attendance or being split with streaming rather than the usual full cinema release? Well, hello, last duel um, (laughs) from an experienced view as well as financial. Well, no, that was down to millennials, wasn't it? Last duel. A few uh, (laughs) old ridders has, uh, has told us. Ben, it's your fault, essentially, is what we're saying. I was one of the few people in the UK who did see The Last Duel in the cinema. I sought it out on what I imagined was going to be the last day that it was available to see. Pretty much only like a week and a half after it came out. It was a Thursday night. Eternals was about to come out. It was going to take over all the screenings. I was like, this is my last chance to see it. So I sought it out. I went all the way to Chelsea, which is no way near where I live or where I work, just so that I could see The Last Duel in the cinema. And I'm glad I did, because I thought it was great. But Ridley... I'm not the problem. Millennials are not the problem. I've loved your no fucks given uh, press tour. The back to back (laughs) press tour has been a glorious, glorious thing. But it's not the millennials, my friends. We grew up in the gladiator era. We we love Ridley medieval shit. I think there was maybe other things going on there, you know? I think the marketing of that movie Mm. didn't help. I think it's a very difficult ask in a way. You're, you know, as you said, I, I, I really respect and admire the film. But you are asking people to sit through two fairly brutal rape scenes. That's tough. That's a tough ask for people. I don't know. It just felt like a movie. It's one of those movies that I'm glad that they made it. But I also can't believe that they spent so much money on it. It's because it's one of those things that's never going to recoup a hundred million dollars. It's just, it's just not. It's, it's, you know, which is, which is strange because in a way it's been missold. You know, for me, it's, it's got elements of all his great medieval stuff, or not even medieval, but you know what I mean. His, his great period epics, the gladiators and the kingdom of heavens and the, and the duelists. It's all in there, but I think it was just missold, mismarketed, and then those people who did want to go see it, it's a tough sit, man. It's yeah. a tough sit. 
I think it's found an audience now on Disney Plus, which is good. I think it's a it's a smart um, film that that does deal with a very tough subject in a in a sort of nuanced way, which is absolutely to its credit. And I think it is a people always say this is the kind of movie that doesn't get made anymore, but it, it, here it is. It got made for a hundred million dollars by a major director with a major, major stars in it. I very cynically, I wonder if you know some slightly more attractive haircuts might not have <laughs> helped at the box office. If if Affleck and Damon had not been fighting those choices i don't it know had some interesting bonnets it can be said really right uh so maybe that would have helped but but i think it's great and i think you know both of his films this year are smart complicated big budget big scale stories of the kind that are not made anymore apparently except here they are i don't know what what do we think is the the weirdest choice between the haircuts in the last duel and the accents in gucci <laughs> combine the two and you might have a hit in your hands <laughs> well, the, haircut, the haircuts are because I think the accents are a great part of why Gucci's done pretty well at the box office and been been a film that people have talked about. Uh, whereas I think the haircuts were actively off putting mm. in the last duel for for whatever reason. It's it's very strange to me uh, that Ridley would have commitment to absolute authenticity in terms of things like the period setting and what people are wearing and how they look, and then not give a fuck about how they sound. Like nobody in that movie sounds like they come from France, let alone from the same region of. France. So it's 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 a little bit inconsistent, but at this point, you know, he has gained enough fuck you points to do whatever the hell he wants. Absolutely. I just wish that there was that that movie in particular had had caught on uh, more than it did. Spoiler caveat, spoiler warning, spoiler warning, spoiler warning for both films. Are okay. you gone? You're gone. I'm about to say the things. Uh, two Ridley Scott films this year that are two and a half hours long with wild, inconsistent accents that both end with Adam Driver getting brutally killed. <laughs> Good Does he have beef with Adam Driver? He loves Adam Driver. They can't <laughs> stop working together. Maybe he should ask Adam Driver better questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, if we know R- uh, Ridley Scott's interview technique, I think he'd ask him the wildest questions and expect uh, the most honest of answers. I had that experience this year. I interviewed him for the magazine, and because uh, I I do all my interviews via this setup, so I have I have my. Even if it's not for a podcast, I will use my headphones and my microphone because it just sounds better and people can hear me better and you know I can hear them better and so on. And uh, the second he went, he saw me with the headphones. He went, "What well, is this? Is this for podcast?" And I went, "No, no, no, it's fine." He went, "All right, you know, good because I swear, I swear, I tell things like I say things like it is. I'll, I'll say fuck." And I went, "I don't care, Ridley. You do what you do." Uh, <laughs> and I had nearly an hour with him, and he was uh, he was a delight. I, I compared him in the article to your gruff grandpa, mm. who has just you know earned enough points over the years to just sit there in the corner and yeah <laughs> and say stuff. He goes, "Okay, grandpa, yes, yes, yes," but he's very, very funny and very, very forthright and of course a goddamn genius so yeah Mm. all good well done Ridley the year of Ridley also great female performances in both films I mean Lady Gaga is fantastic in Gucci really really fantastic and Jodie Comer is very very impressive in Last Duel Yarp the question if I remember rightly was about films that have that were not served well by the shutting of cinemas or the split across West Side Story brings to mind not just simply because I think partly due to the surge in, in COVID, its target audience, which is perhaps a slightly older audience, have not particularly wanted to congregate at super spreader events, which you can kind of understand. Yeah, that's fair. And it's a fantastic film. It's, uh, I mean, it's I was going to say that it would almost certainly finish them off if they did, but sh- sure, carry on. <laughs> Cynical. But no, it's a fantastic film. It's it's gorgeous. It's it, And it is cinematic above anything else. It is made for the big screen. It is made for watching with a huge audience. You know, 
I think it's a great shame that people are, as you say, going to miss it in cinemas. And uh, I, I wish they wouldn't. I think, you know, with In the Heights earlier in the year, I think it also underperformed at the box office, certainly relative yeah. to its hopes. Now, those hopes, we can have a discussion about this. I think some of the predictions were always on the highly optimistic side. Um, they They sort of assumed numbers for that musical that very few musicals actually hit. And that the musical's own past record... Indeed, w- would not suggest. support. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I think they they were slightly seeing it through a, a, a gauzy glow of Hamilton numbers rather than in the Heights numbers on mm-hmm. Broadway. Uh, you know, so there were there were some definite questions about whether it was fairly considered a disappointment or a, an underperformer. But it was considered a disappointment and an underperformer. And I think it is one of those th- films where, as with Ben's experience, you know, it was pure joy to watch in a cinema. It was an absolutely great collective experience. And I think people would have probably gone back many times if that had been you know, an option in all parts of the world. That was the film that I watched. We watched actually that day you were talking about Ben, where we all went out. We then we went to had a lovely lunch afterwards. Then lay in the park, and it was it was just a, a glorious, glorious day. Uh, but I, you know, I've had some incredible experiences in the cinema this year, and uh, it's uh, you know Spider Man No Way Home. We'll we'll get to that in a second, uh, I am sure. But uh, I loved watching the French Dispatch recently mm-hmm. uh, in a sold out screening, which was which just felt great uh, on a Saturday afternoon. A sold out screening of French of the French Dispatch. So I thought that was lovely but if you look at box office it's so weird this year so i've got the uh, the top uh the top films of, of 2021 worldwide up on my screen right now and it's so strange i see so many box office prognosticators people who do this stuff for a living who still don't seem to be able to factor into their considerations the fact that there's a fucking pandemic on and that films are going to take not just a small hit but a huge hit in terms of what they brought in at the box office for example um so the biggest film in the in worldwide this year is a chinese film called the battle at lake changjin uh, after that it's another chinese film called hi mom both of those made 800 million 900 million you know in the, in that ballpark. Um, China, as we know, has, you know, it seems to have its lockdowns and everything and, you know, sorted and licked for the most part, you know. And so it's been able to function pretty much as a, as a functioning society, you know, bringing in huge chunks of cash at the box office. Hollywood, not so much. And what I thought was really interesting and encouraging were the reports of the great box office uh, over here in uh, in October for the UK, which was the highest in, in years. And No Time to Die has done incredibly well and become the third highest movie, grossing movie of all time in the UK. But if you look at everything else, like No Time to Die is the highest grossing um, Hollywood movie, shall we say, uh, this year with 771 million, Fast 9, 726, Venom Let There Be Carnage, not even 500 million. You go way down the list. You have things like The Suicide Squad, which I would absolutely throw into this question about which movies mm. just didn't fare well. Um, I thought the movie was terrific, but it has made barely a quarter of what the original dreadful film made. Uh, this much, much, much uh, improved version just seemed to have died. It's It's so strange. But yeah, it's it's just interesting to me that box office has taken this huge hit. So I'm fascinated to see we're recording this just before No Way Home has opened. Uh, we're recording this, but obviously before The Matrix has opened. Uh, and I, I, I'm i looking at the way box office is going. I, I, I've said this in the podcast before, but I didn't think that we would see a billion dollar grocer again. Not for a while, at least. And I'd be fascinated to see if Spider-Man No Way Home gets there. 
it, mm. you know, you may, we may know whether it's going to get there by the time you're listening to this. But uh, feels bad timing for yeah. Spider Man, unfortunately. Yeah. I wonder bad whether. timing. Certainly in this country, where yeah. there seems to be more, much more of a panic about Omicron than, than other countries at time of recording. But uh, but yeah, having said that, <laughs> we're going tonight and getting yeah. tickets were was very, very difficult. So certainly it seems to be selling out pretty well. At Nowhere, Andy, biggest surprise or letdown of the year? I've personally found the Suicide Squad a letdown. I'll be honest. But what were you expecting it to be? More? I was hoping maybe for more. I mean, I wasn't in the tank for it. I was a little bit skeptical, but at the same time, uh, you know, I kept kind of trying to get on board the hype train and think, you know what, you know, like I did really enjoy the first Guardians and, Hmm. uh, you know, I I did appreciate that he was trying to do something different with it. I just find it a little bit tired. I I know I've complained to you, James, about the fact that every single episode of The Boys has somebody with exploding head, an exploding head or an exploding person. That's great, isn't it? And, and, And like, no spoilers, but the Suicide Squad has kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, well, because we're R-rated, so let's just explode everybody. That'll be cool. I'm just like, you know, I I don't actually think that like guts all over the screen inherently is entertaining. I think it can be, but I don't think that on its own is clever and brilliant. And and so that was... That was a bit of a disappointment for me, I think. Yeah, I didn't love it. I know some of us, I think, Chris, you, you enjoyed it, didn't you? Like, yeah, I, I loved it, yeah. I, I wasn't, I didn't hate it at all. I thought it was better than the first one, but I mean, yeah. it was resoundingly sort of like middling three stars to me, but mm. uh, I didn't expect any more, so. I enjoyed Suicide Squad or The Suicide Squad quite a bit more on a second viewing. First time around, mm. I just, I, in, I enjoyed it. I had a perfectly fine time with it, but it didn't really surprise me or move me in any way. Um, but on a second viewing, I don't know, all of the, the bits that I liked about it got even stronger and some of the bits I wasn't as sure about uh, kind of picked up for me. So I'd be intrigued to see if you guys find that if you do end up going back to it. Um, it's, it's still not my favourite James Gunn. I'm glad we got to see a, a film, another film, film that was all out James Gunn, unhinged, unrestrained. Uh, But I actually think I maybe slightly prefer moderately restrained James Gunn in the first Guardians (laughs) sense, (laughs) Uh, which is still very, very much him. Um, I'm not sure if I had any big cinematic disappointments in terms of surprises. I don't want to talk about Spider-Man too much, but as much as I was really looking forward to it, I had reservations about how Mm. much was going on in this film and whether it would lose the sight of of Tom Holland's Peter Parker and the lovely comedic teenagey vibe of those previous two films, and for me, it, it retained all of that while still doing big, crazy multiverse stuff. So that I think I went into mm. the screening excited, and and obviously there was so much build up to what could or could not be in that film, um, and. I had an overwhelming time at the cinema with that. So that was a surprise of just how great it was. Um, My other surprise, I stuck on the other night uh, 8-Bit Christmas, which has just appeared on Now TV. Uh, This is Neil Patrick Harris uh, telling a story about him in his younger years, or where he's playing a character, it's not him as himself, uh, about being desperate to get his hands on a Nintendo console as a kid in the 80s and it's like less than 90 minutes it's really funny it's really charming for me might be the best Christmas movie since like Elf since 2003 Uh, yeah Love Actually same year so uh, it's been a long long time since we've had some like really properly good well I don't know Klaus and stuff but come on Uh, yeah 
8-bit Christmas, put it on with no expectations, had such a great time, immediately texted all of you guys saying, you need to watch this. You need to watch 8-Bit mm-hmm. Christmas. And if you're looking for something fun and festive and you have Sky or Now, um, yeah, look it up. Give it a watch. It's really fun. It's on my list. There's a there's a litany. There's like it seems like Sky original suspense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God! Oh yeah. God! Here, here we go. Killer. It is the oh, little no. death that brings total obliteration. Oh Jesus! I wish I could totally obliterate that movie. Uh, no, I don't. I really enjoy that movie. Oh God, James, why are you making me hate Dune I know, again? I have made you hate it. I'm don't, sorry. Don't do it. No, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, no, there's there's a there, Sky Originals have been making like a series of w- what quite looked like quite frankly shockingly bad Christmas movies. Hmm. Um, most of which are about rock stars who have some sort of Christmassy epiphany. One's got um, that fella from Game of Thrones. The other one's got Michael Sheen. And, it, and they just looked like they were made for £4.50. And I don't quite understand. But so so to have a, a good recommendation, 8-Bit Christmas is going on my list uh, for things to watch. Because, you know, it's nice to watch something new, mm-hmm. isn't it? Something that you haven't seen before. Yeah. That is good. Anyway. I, I must admit, I, I, was, I was conflicted going into Dune as to whether or not it would be the best film of the year or the greatest film ever made. You know, that was a really difficult <laughs> one for me. And I'm very pleased to report it is both. Uh, no, disappointments for me. I would say, I'm going to do a surprise and a disappointment. My disappointment was Doug Lyman's Chaos Walking, which, mm. I mean, look, I'm not, I wasn't shocked it was bad because it had a very troubled production, but it is such a mess of a film. Like when you look at the source material and how well constructed it is, which is Patrick Ness's book. Uh, well, it's kind of, I was going to say, it's based on The Knife of Never Letting Go, which it kind of is, but then it also isn't, because it's based on The Knife of Never Letting Go and then essentially condenses the other two books into literally like two minutes at the end, which I guess is their way of saying, do you know what? We're never getting a sequel, so let's just wrap this shit up because <laughs> we can't, because the books essentially all end on cliffhangers. Hmm. So I guess they, you know, they are very much of a piece. Um, so yeah, this was fumbled, and I do wonder whether it, you know, it was more faithful to the book before they realised it also wasn't good because the book is largely about a talking dog and there is no talking dog in the film, which in many ways is a good thing, but I'm digressing. Yeah, it was a strange one because they're great books and that is not a great film so that that i think was was one of my big disappointments this year especially because i'm always in the tank for for a good old sci-fi romp yeah if people haven't read that book though they absolutely should should. those books are unbelievably good they're so fun they are good but my surprise i have to say my surprise which is very much in the sci-fi realm as well my surprise was reminiscence which i was very disappointed to see also was a sort of a, a victim of box office poor returns did about what just under 16 million i think i mean it's pretty fucking weak but i loved reminiscence i watched this way 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 back early summer before i interviewed lisa joy for the magazine and i really really loved it and i was really disappointed that no one else seemed to um but yeah i thought it was i thought it was a great film i thought it was a, a lovely sort of the idea at the heart of it about you know who people really are versus our expectations and our projections of who we want them to be and i like the idea of him, him exploring a mystery through his own memory and other people's memories uh, and i love that kind of of, uh, you know, tech noir setting as well, which I thought was oh. nice with a little, not literally, it wasn't set in tech noir from Terminator because that would have been weird. But um, yeah, I thought, <laughs> cool it was, I thought it was a lovely film and I think a lot more people should have seen it. Mm. Uh, and I look forward to doing our slightly belated spoiler special <laughs> podcast for that. Can I mention a surprise? Because I didn't mention a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Malignant. I still have not seen Malignant and I've okay, avoided I'm not spoil spoilers anything. for so, so You're not long. Spoil the twist. I don't know the twist. How have you avoided the twist? I was supposed to see Malignant and then I got COVID and I had to stay inside and by the time I could go outside again, it had gone from everywhere. But I trust I mean, Helen not to spoil it. So, but, but, um, Count yourself lucky because dreadful film. <laughs>
I mean, bad and good are not words that have any meaning to malignant. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they do not belong in a discussion of this film. But this film is something extraordinary. I, I genuinely, it's so gonzo and weird. And like, this is not a spoiler. There's a, there's a moment where a person parks their car in a film that, in a way that no human being has ever parked their car in the history of the world. And that just like, that's just the, the mood of the film. That's just the tone of how these things are going. That was the moment. It was like in, in football, <laughs> in Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team and his uh, his embrace of the tactic of gegen pressing, which is the, the, which is a moment where, uh, you know, when the opposition has the ball in and around their penalty area and one of the Liverpool players is the trigger, is the trigger to suddenly press the opposition, to suddenly attack, almost like a pincer movement, to try and win the ball back high up the pitch. That moment was malignant's equivalent of Gagan pressing. <laughs> it was the moment when the film said to you, you think this is a bad film so far, right? You've been watching this movie and you've been going, what the fuck is James Wan doing with this movie? Is this tone, is the underlying comedic nature of this movie, is it deliberate? And that's the moment that makes you go, absolutely, yes. 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 He knows exactly what yeah. he's doing. And now you can talk back to the screen. You have license to interact <laughs> with the movie. And from that moment on, it was glorious. There were six people in the screening where, that Chris and I went to, and we were virtually talking to each other oh, by the end we of the were. film. We were bonded incredible. by the experience of having seen it. I cannot condone this interpretation. I still stand by my belief that if you knowingly make a terrible film, it is still a terrible film, whether you know it or not. I just know. Just hard press. And also, you know, Chris, you should never allow someone to pressure your balls in a penalty area. It's just, it's a must be a disaster. <laughs> hey. I have an actual uh, letdown slash disappointment. I've, I've, I've found yeah. one. Uh, spiral from the book of, Shaw, of Saw, load yeah. of shite. Load of shite. Yep. 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 Sadly. Sadly. Yep. Sadly. Sadly. Yep. Not much else to say about that. Uh, I have two letdowns in the blockbuster realm. One mm-hmm. is Fast Nine. Oh yeah, yeah, actually, that was yeah. disappointing. Which I thought, you know, we, we were so pumped for that—the return of Justin mm. Lin to the to the franchise—and yet it just felt like it was trying far too hard. Like the the effortlessness with which the films previously had embraced the um the the stupid just felt like they were trying far far too hard with that one. And the other one is, and I know that is me with my Kevin Feige underpants, but with the benefit of hindsight, um, I think Black Widow was a big letdown. Looking back at that, it's 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 fine as these things go, but it wasn't the the send off that Natasha deserved. I think. See, funnily enough, so I was I was going to say for me, Shang Chi and Eternals both get the were. fuck out of here. How dare Sorry, sorry. Both of them, both of them were real disappointing. Shang Chi, I don't think I massively had high expectations for, but I think I think the first half of that film raised my expectations very high because it was outstanding, and then the second half really let them down. So it was kind of a victim of its own success in that regard. Eternals was the one where you know we were very different. Like you were had very moderated expectations and were really surprised. I thought it was going to be amazing. I was so psyched for it and was really let down. But as we have discussed, I have yet to revisit it, and there is potentially a Damascene conversion in my future. <laughs> Who knows? But Praise certainly on my. It could happen, but certainly my fir- my first viewing of that, I was I was bitterly disappointed by it. If, mm. if we're talking Marvel letdowns, for me, it was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It was obviously yeah. one oh, of the ones I was. TV? 
Well, I mean, just I'm just throwing it in there. No, this is my this is my Marvel. <laughs> We're in the Marvel world. It's fine. It's all cinematic TV anyway, right? Exactly. It's all, it's all grist for the mill. Yes. <laughs> but um, but no, this is the one that maybe on paper I was most excited about. Certainly, I was excited about it because it's two characters that I love that I think have great chemistry together. They're from the best uh, sub franchise of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I expected great things, and what I got was a f- was a show which kept them apart for too long, which overcomplicated and overcooked and didn't really delve into the the very stuff it was sort of promising to explore. So yeah, that was my big Marvel letdown of the year. I I, I, I do kind of know what you, you're saying about Black Widow, but I, I do think it, it worked on a character level. I think the big problem with that film was timing. I think it would have been uh, yeah, well, there's two big problems. I think the the last <laughs> act and another big flying thing. We've seen that before, but um, but it was really the the timing that kind of or that did it for me. It would have been better straight after Civil War. I mean, it was fine. It introduced Yelena Belova. Her thing's going to be a a big asset going forward mm. in the MCU, and mm. I enjoyed David Harbour. And there were, there were things I really liked about it, but it just felt, uh, yeah, the, the 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 delay meant I think that it had missed its window of feeling. It, it was never going to feel. Essential. It was never going to feel integral to the MCU, and I think that hurt it quite a bit. Uh, and also, it just felt a bit slight and a little bit been there, done that uh, a little bit. But I also think it's kind of just a comparison to what's come since, which was Shang-Chi, and I think Shang-Chi is a real breath of fresh air mm. and felt really, really interesting and fresh. And then you have... Eternals, which I know that there's the three of us in this room, but we are absolutely in the minority when it comes to this movie. And we recognize that, that most people think this movie is a snooze fest and, um, you know, a pretentious snooze fest at that. I thought it was terrific. And then Spider-Man No Way Home was was transportational for me and transcendent um, in many ways, although it does have it does have massive flaws. Uh, you, you compare Lowe's to when you compare Black Widow to Lowe's, and especially you look at the uh, the stuff that they've done in the small screen, whether it's something really quirky and experimental like WandaVision and Loki, or something more grounded like like Hawkeye, then Black Widow does pale in comparison to those. Mm-hmm. Um, then a long way down the list is Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is the worst thing they've done in years, mm-hmm. and is bottom three MCU for me. But I've said that before. Uh, anyway. All this talk of the MCU leads me to the next question, which comes from at Fix at the Movies. Get around this one, folks. Best MCU moment of the year. Ooh. Good luck discussing well, this with us. Yeah. Spider Man. Really discuss that because at least ten, the top ten of them are probably, or almost certainly, in fact, absolutely are in Spider Man No Way Home, and we can't discuss them. So maybe not all ten, but yeah, uh, you're right. There's some there's some very good ones on TV as well, but uh, I would say certainly there are none others. In the films, what Shang Chi bus fight? Shang Chi bus fight. Shang Chi when he fights on the bus. Yes, the bus fight is fucking magnificent. And Tony Leung walking into the restaurant with little baby Shang Chi with his with his sleeves rolled up and his bangles on. That Mm -hmm. was pretty top ten for me. That might be personal. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's leave that aside. I want it that way. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think. Eternals moments. I mean, I mean was it's some... rubbish, wasn't it, really? Let's, let's, really. let's be honest. No, I'm only kidding. We are Arisham's um, chosen few, Chris. Oh, we are indeed, aren't we? I'm being summoned by Arisham. Oh, no! James has called me the worst for saying sci-fi bullshit. I, I, I call sci-fi <laughs> bullshit on James. I know. The, the universe has just imploded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How dare you like Eternals, Ben? Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to watch Dune for the tenth time. Dune! Dune! Eternals! Dune! <laughs> 
That's um, how we should review right. things. Just yell, yell the title <laughs> at each other. Honestly, we're not that far off. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's let's exclude Spider-Man: No Way Home from the conversation. Okay. And so uh, there was that line, wasn't there in in One Division? What is grief? Grief, if not love, perseverance. Oh, yeah. Became yeah. a big meme for for about five five seconds, and then people seem to forget about it. Uh, yeah, the bus fight in Shang-Chi, although I would argue it's not even the best bus fight of the year, uh, that comes in Nobody. We say nobody does it better. Nobody oh. does it better. Hey. Very good. Hey, he wins Very the Carly good. Simon Award. Uh, I also enjoyed uh, the Ship of Theseus, not so much the oh. reference to it in uh, WandaVision, but the meme that went online where someone turned it into a capture. Uh, please click on all the squares which show the ship of Theseus. <laughs> it's just a ship on it. And so, ah! <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. That was indeed. great. Um, yeah. And there, yeah. Were some, there, were some, there were some great moments. But yes, um, if you want to hear us discuss the MCU moment of the year, then tune in, subscribe to our Spoiler Special channel and, and just hear us squeen about Spider-Man No Way Home for probably three, <laughs> three hours straight. Uh, yeah, I think that's where we're going to go with that one. At Andy Williams 250, please talk about Petite Maman being the best film of the year. Oh, you know what? No, I mean, I mean, this is genuinely, it's pretty arguable. This is a great, great film. Um, if people haven't seen it yet, because I know it got a, a release in about six cinemas uh, worldwide, it is uh, the story of a little girl who goes with her mother uh, to empty her recently deceased grandmother's house, goes out into the woods to play around um, and meets another little girl there, goes back to her house, which is the same house 23 years earlier. It's his. It's her own mother separated by generation and they're miraculously meeting at the same age. And it's just a beautiful human story. I guess it's technically sci-fi, but also it isn't remotely because there's absolutely no explanation of how any of this happens or why any of it happens. It's just a beautiful mm-hmm. film about, you know, knowing your own family and knowing who, you know, what makes you yourself and why people do the things that they do. It's its gorgeous and glorious and it's under 80 minutes. I mean, come on, yes. people. There is literally nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Uh, tremendous film. Tremendous film. Celine Sciamma at the height of her powers. Uh, we have another question pertaining to female directors, uh, which I will try and find. Yes, here it is. Uh, this is uh, sent into my DMs from at Alone in the Front. And they ask, who has emerged as the most exciting female filmmaker this year and why is it Celine Sciamma? Uh, which I think <laughs> is a bit of a leading question. I mean, she's, uh, yeah, she's emerged quite a while ago, I would yeah. say. I mean, look, yeah. we've had, we've had uh, you know, uh, Prano Bailey Bond's Censor come out this year, which is an astonishing film. Lisa Joy as well. I know I'm in the yeah. camp for reminiscence, but... It's impressive. Um, I mean, we had, I guess, uh, St. Maud was last year. So we had yes. Rose Glass already in the bank. Promising Young Woman only came out in the UK <laughs> yeah. here this year. Promising Young Woman, I think, is is astonishingly good. Yes, yeah. that's a very good Absolutely. show. Absolutely, mm, that's one of my films. Emerald Fennell, of course, yeah. for that. See that that faded very quickly for me when I when I was putting together my really? my list of the year. I'm not going to share my top ten of the year because, quite frankly, it's embarrassing. But uh, <laughs> it's got it. It starts with Eternals and goes downhill from there. No, it's uh, it's. It's it wasn't remotely in my consideration, but I wasn't that big a fan of it first time around. Really? I have to say, I yeah. really liked it. So oh, um, and maybe um, Shiva Baby as well. Um, so that was Shiva Emma Seligman. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. that was a really interesting film, and I think she's one to watch as well. 
in future. Yes. I'm trying to think who else. I know it's actually been a, a relatively good year for female directors. I think we're beginning to get to the point where new films from good, talented women actually get talked about and get some attention, which didn't always used to be the case. But the fact that there was a lot of, uh, you know, hype, frankly, around The Power of the Dog, around Titan, this is good news because that didn't always used to be the case. So I'm, I'm really encouraged, actually, that, um, that that's beginning to happen. Two of the big Marvel movies this year were directed by women. Of yeah, course, indeed. Chloe Zhao had a banner year yes. because, technically speaking, Nomad Land, which won the best picture at uh, this year's Oscars, came out here this year. Most people, if you're listening to this in the States, you're going, hey, why are you limeys talking about Nomad Land? But no, it came out uh, this year. So indeed. for us, for in, us. In, proper, in, 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 in proper countries, it came out this <laughs> oh year. Oh my God. Wow. Yes. You've gone full Brexit. The, yes. Governed by the Queen. The Queen herself decreed that Nomad Land would come out this year. And people would shit in buckets at celebration. <laughs> she has decreed this the year of Chloe Zhao. The film didn't make my top 10, but I uh, thought there was a lot of interesting stuff in Zola that was uh, directed yes, by yes. Uh, yeah. Janiska Bravo, Janisha Bravo. I mean, given that it's basically a tweet storm made movie, um, mm-hmm. it's quite extraordinary. Yeah, great film, great film. Uh, Kelly Reichardt, not an, not an emerging female filmmaker, of course, but First Cow I thought was tremendous. So uh, yes, props to Kelly Reichardt and um, of course Kate Shortland directed Black Widow and a number of the films we were talking about, a number of the other Marvel stuff we were talking about. Kate Heron, of course, directing uh, all six episodes of Loki and doing an absolutely bang up job on that. Yeah. Lee Janiak directing all three Fear Street films. What a flex. Yes. Yes, that was a flex. So that was a hell of a thing. We don't talk about that no. enough. Like as a as a sort of cinematic event. I mean, I say cinematic. It was on Netflix, but you know what I mean. Like as a movie event, have three essentially films in a sequence to follow after each other. I, I maybe slightly cheated and counted it as one film, but I put the Fear Street trilogy on my top ten. Yeah, I get it. Um, also, um, I'm not sure it came out in this country. I think it did come out in this country this year, but Quo Vadis Aida, um, which is uh, a film by uh, Jasmila Zhvanek. I apologise for my uh, no doubt terrible pronunciation, but it's a Bosnian war drama. It's really hard to watch. I'm not going to lie to you. It's really hard to watch, but it is so, so incredible. And just the performance in that is off the charts. If you haven't seen Quo Vadis Aida, it just won a whole bunch of films, that, um, won the European Film Awards. Uh, literally this month, but it's it's stunning. You should def- definitely check that out. David B. Cooper. Lots of musicals this year. Best soundtrack? In the Heights. In the Heights. In the Heights. In the Heights. Uh, My vote would go to In the Heights. <laughs> no, but you're not clear, Ben. Which one? <laughs> oh. uh, what if it's between In the Heights or In the Heights? Uh, are, we talking, <laughs> are, we, are we talking original soundtracks here? Because if so, then does Lin does Linny Manny beat Linny Manny, or does Linny Manny beat Linny Manny? <laughs> okay, if we're talking the in terms of films and in terms of soundtracks, probably comes equally. Uh, I had Dude. a lovely time with with Vivo. <laughs> Vivo is at the bottom of the list. Then okay. Tick Tick Boom. <laughs> then Encanto. Then In the Heights. None of those films had space bagpipes. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, but we were talking Lin Manuel Miranda just then, so sure. that was not. But again, again, mm. did he get some space bagpipes in any of those films? No, he did not. Is this true? It's true. It's true. But despite that, it's, yeah, just it's been a yeah. wonderful, wonderful year. I, I'm sad to announce I will now need four Lin Manuel Miranda projects a year going forward. Every year, yeah. Uh, mm. So I look forward to that consistently. You're going to kill him, Ben. You're going to absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he, he's up for it. He'll, he's a workaholic. It'll be fine. Um, I loved, loved, loved West Side Story as well. I don't know how much 
I'll go back to that soundtrack, but um, I think it's an astonishing, astonishing film, as you know, because I gave it five stars very recently. Um, yeah, it has been a really good year for musicals, hasn't it? God, we don't mm-hmm. often get that. Tick, Tick, Boom as well. That was a musical mm-hmm. I had very little interest in, in on paper, to be perfectly honest with you, but it really impressed me. And um, I thought it was a lot better than I, well, a lot better than I expected, really. So what am I missing? Encanto, charming, super cute. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree that if the question is about the best soundtrack of the year, there are a number of contenders, one of which, of course, is Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, mm. which I thought had a tremendous 60s-tastic, like pretty much plucked from stuff I was listening to when I was a kid. Uh, but also, Leo introduced me to new things. I never knew until I watched Last Night in Soho that George Harrison's Got My Mind Set on You was a cover. I didn't know that. I thought that was a, a song he wrote in a sort of, you know, 60s pastiche style. No, it was a cover. And of course, Last Night in Soho is a uh, Dozy Dave Beaky Mick. Yeah, that Dave one. D, Dozy Dave D, D, D Beaky Mick and Titch. That's the ones. There we yeah, go. that's yep. them. That's them. But the uh, the song of the year for me, without a shadow of a doubt, is from uh, Ilya Nate Schuler's Nobody, the aforementioned Nobody, the climactic shootout of which takes place to the soothing strains of You'll Never Walk Alone <laughs> by Jerry and the Pacemakers. That's Rise. your song of every year. Uh, even if it's not in the movie, which it has never been until this point. So so well done, Ilya. Yeah. And uh, it's not because he's a Reds fan. He's not. Uh, he, it's just because he, he, he realized it but works cinematically. No, the song of the year has to be, of course, Edgar's Prayer from Barb and Star go to Fist at Del Mar, sung and performed by Jamie Dornan, who is making an incredible habit of singing and performing mm. in movies. Both Belfast and Wild Mountain Time have Jamie Dornan singing on stage in them. And you know? uh, Edgar's Prayer, it was just the <laughs> comedic highlight of the year for me. I went into Barb and Star go to Fist at Del Mar with very, very low expectations. Uh, yes, it was Kristen Wiig. Yes, it was Annie Mamolo who both wrote bridesmaids together but it was kind of buried it came out week of release we were given screeners very very late i watched it in this very seat very late at night almost out of a sense of duty let's get this over with kind of duty and it won me over within 10 minutes and then edgar's prayer happens about 25 30 minutes into it and from that moment on i was just sold i would i would have gone anywhere with that movie i would marry that movie uh, <laughs> it's it's tremendous if you haven't heard it if you haven't seen it it's Jamie Dornan singing a lament on a beach to a seagull. And it's the best thing you've ever it's seen. It's the greatest. Um, if we're talking music, we should uh, talk about some documentaries. So I have to confess, I was the know-nothing who knew nothing about Sparks. Um, and I now feel much more educated thanks to the Edgar Wright documentary on the Sparks mm-hmm. Brothers. Uh, yes, Summer of Soul as well, I thought was mm-hmm. absolutely astonishing. Um, and of course, Get Back. Um it's been oh. a very, very good year for music documentaries, led by those three, I think. It's so good. Get Back is tremendous, to the point where whenever it was announced it was going to be six hours long, you go, really? Does this need to be six hours long? And then it comes out, it turns out it's actually eight and a half hours long, and you're going, really? Eight and a half hours long of just watching the Beatles like noodle around and make tea. argue amongst themselves and make tea and have toast? And then you watch it, you're going, oh, no, give me all 50 hours of footage. Come on, Pete, what are you doing? You're being you're being miserly by your standards. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And then, of course, there's Tom and Jerry the movie. I mean, who can forget Tom and Jerry the movie? Literally everyone? Literally the what, everyone. With the who? What? Huh? Huh? Hmm. 
while we're on great soundtracks, uh, obviously all pre-existing songs and many of them, yes, very, very on the nose, but Cruella had a great soundtrack. It did. Absolute True. bangers. It did. Top to bottom. Very on the nose, though. Very, very on the nose. I think it was one of the best designed movies of the year as yeah. well. Yeah. Costumes wise, that's got to be up there. Mm. Hair and makeup also. Mm. Very good Nadia stuff. Nadia Stacey, that indeed. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's one from at Shiplocked. Best instances of animal acting this year. I would personally like to commend the rat from Suicide Squad, the dog from Mitchell's Versus the Machines, mm. the seagull on the tire from Barb and Star, <laughs> and the sandworm from Dune. Yes. <laughs> Wait, Dune! Was, was that a dog or was it a loaf of bread? Or was it a pig? Dog, pig, dog, pig, big loaf dog, of big bread. Dog, love our bread. <laughs> we have not talked enough about Mitchell's versus no, the Machines, which is definitely one of the films of the year. Yeah. That was a surprise. I mean, wasn't it? Ben warned us, Ben told us, and, and still I doubted until I saw it and the scales fell from my eyes. Not being funny, you are right to doubt Ben when he comes back and says, I just saw a random cartoon and it's a five star film. Yeah, whatever, Ben. Uh, but actually, you're 100% right. It was, and it is, and my two biggest, I would say, surprises of this year, really, were actually both animations. They were that, and it was Arcane. Genuinely, I'm not a big fan of animated TV series, and it was absolutely outstanding, and I would say has the most stunning animation I've ever seen in anything, anywhere, ever. So Wow. Which, in the year of Mitchell versus the Machines, is saying well, it's, something. It's, it's not dissimilar. It has a, sl- a similar, it's more, it goes for a more realistic look, but it has that kind of thing where it walks the line between CG and traditional kind of like uh, painted animation. So it has a similar a similar vibe to Mitchell's for me. But they're both, they're both stunning. And, huh. and I will grant you that Arcane at no point has a Furby gag. So, Well, it loses points for that then. Which is one know. of my scenes of the year. That is one of the funniest gags. Oh, let the dark harvest begin. <laughs> It's so fucking funny. I laughed so much during that film. And I think it was like it was like giddy laughter where it's not just funny, it's absolutely over the top obscenely funny, and it has no right to be, and it's just this delightful thing that you've just discovered, or frankly Ben discovered. Ben but, discovered. You know, it's yeah. much the same thing. Yeah, can, can I just dispel uh, r- rumours of, of things? I, I was right about some films this year. I called two five-star <laughs> films that James agrees are both five-star films. Uh, I also did not like some films like I was talking about, Free Guy and Venom. I don't love everything, but the stuff I love, I do mm. love. <laughs> Sounds a lot like a man who loves everything trying to convince yeah. people that he doesn't love everything, Ben. Exactly. Mm. Um, surely the best animal acting of the year, though, is Pig. Big, yes. Big dog, big dog, big dog, love <laughs> bread. What about the what about Spider Man? I mean, he's a spider and a man. That's true. So that's pretty good. The dog in in I was about to say Chappie. It's not Chappie, is it? What's the non Chappie film? What's on Apple? What are you talking? Oh, Finch. <laughs> Finch. Oh, Finch. The dog in Chappie Finch. Yes, <laughs> he was good. Chappie Hanks. Chappie Hanks. Love our bread. <laughs> Uh, yes, all all of those are good. Uh, I I yeah, the rat, the Crisp rat. rat, the actor's name. <laughs> it truly is that that rat is named Chris Rat. I believe rat. Yes, he's in the credits. What about the lamb and lamb? That was that was good. That was uh, yeah, like a little acting. bit animatronic, a little bit CG. What about know? Kong? A good monkey. Well, Kong plays himself. I don't know that he it's counts as an <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but. You know, so does the sandworm, and the sandworm was nominated. No, the sandworm's method, that's actually a porcupine. 
That's Daniel Day-Lewis. He <laughs> lived in the Daniel desert. Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. <laughs> he, he it's Jeremy Strong. <laughs> Jeremy Strong was actually okay, in Dune. Strong. Nobody knows this, but he, he spent many years living as a sandworm on Arrakis to really inhabit that role. Yeah, so. he doesn't like to talk to any of his castmates before he tries to eat them. He, uh, yeah. he, just, he just comes up from underneath and just swallows Chalamet whole. He's, oh, my word. He's not in on a joke. He thinks, uh, he thinks Dune is Hey, I've heard Jeremy Strong yeah. is a great guy and really funny and the coolest person ever, and I've got an Instagram post to back that up. It's true. Yeah. Hey, Ben, could you say something like, yeah, I just want to send some love out to Chris Hewitt, who I've had the pleasure to work with now for several years <laughs> and who I have the pr- I am proud to call my friend. Uh, here's a list of approved adjectives. <laughs> and now I have at it. Mo- movie Animals, sorry, I had one more. I have to shout out Wink, the one-eyed chihuahua from Cruella, because yeah, oh, that's a good one. Wonderful, wonderful. Speaking of one-eyed dogs, Pizza Dog. Pizza yeah, Dog. Pizza Dog. Pizza in dog. Pizza Dog's a great suggestion. Pizza Dog may well win this category. Uh, hey, Morris. Morris from Shang-Chi. He played uh, himself. Oh. He was extremely what convincing. Morris? What is he's it, a, Morris? He's a, he's a chicken dog, isn't Without he? Without a face. Dog, pig, loaf of bread, chicken. Yeah, I mean, genuinely, <laughs> genuinely, that is both a dog, a pig, and a loaf of bread. That is Morris. I love Morris. I would, I would die for Morris. I would go to the ends of the earth for Morris. But I think we're all forgetting one thing. Tom and Jerry the movie. Is anyone forgetting Tom and Jerry the movie? No? Okay. Mm. What were the chickens from Venom 2? No? Okay. I say potato, you say potato, catsup. (laughs) (laughs) What a film. What What a a film. film. What What a film? film? That wasn't rehearsed, folks. That was was entirely off the cuff. Uh, All right. At Das underscore Ginge, how about the most unexpected plot twist or potentially the biggest spoiler that was not leaked beforehand? Uh, Let's skip the second part and go to the most unexpected plot twist whilst treading carefully around any (laughs) recently released I would say a number of you, and we can't obviously discuss what it is for so many reasons, but Malignant will be one. I saw Mm -hmm. this twist coming a fucking mile away, but it seems that I'm in the minority here. Oh, no, okay, good. So I would say then it's not shocking. I mean, it's mental, but it's not but yeah yeah and of course spider-man uh no way home also had notable plot developments maybe not twists is it a spoiler but, to say you know, that those things were... happen in spider-man no way home <laughs> whoa i don't whoa, honestly at this point people on the internet they make me really worried i was even worried last night like i, I tweeted something about it at the end going i really love this film but i was worried about saying that it made me feel euphoric in case people went now i know there's something that'll make you feel euphoric and then they kind of they kind of reverse engineer a spoiler from there, and it's like, oh god, I haven't said anything. Leave me alone. Hey everybody, it's Chris here, jumping in real quick to let you know that we're about to slip into an impromptu spoiler section uh, that wasn't labelled as such while we were doing it. Anyway, we were about to discuss in great detail the ending of No Time to Die, and also some of our favourite endings and most emotional moments and favourite death scenes. From the year, we don't discuss the likes of Spider-Man No Way Home or Matrix Resurrections or Don't Look Up or The Kingsman, but we do discuss a whole bunch of other things. So if you want to avoid that, this section will last for about 14 minutes. So maybe skip the next 14 minutes or so if you want to remain unspoiled and unsullied. Here we go. Back to me. So while the twist of the year, can we talk? Should we talk? Can we? I think we should. I think we have to say it. What are I think you're going to say Bond, aren't you? I think we should say Bond. Yes. I mean, I think we have to, don't we? We have to we talk about We have to about talk this. about No Time to Die, do we? So, don't we? 
Do Maybe we... people should skip ahead if they have not seen Bond. I kind of feel at this point, if you've not seen Bond, you don't care. Really? Do you not think? I mean, people may not have gone to the cinema, but now at the time that people are listening to this, it will have been out on home entertainment, mm. so you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. So you, you probably will know that the end of the film, shall we say, maybe let's do it this way. The end of the film does something that Bond, is, Bond films has never have never done before, and it is a, a bold and audacious swing that it has taken me a long time to come to terms with. <laughs> Are you okay, that. Chris? Yeah, Are you, you weren't okay? a fan at all, were you? I, yeah, as I said before, the first hour of our Bond spoiler special is is people trying to talk me off the ledge, and uh, and you know I've come to terms with it a bit more. I interviewed recently Carrie Fukunaga, the director of the film, and Lena Sandgren, the cinematographer of the film. We talked at some length about the decision to do what that film does and how they went about doing it and and the how and the what and the why and the where and the when and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I, 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 I get it now. It makes sense from a thematic point of view. It makes sense in terms of putting a, a full stop at the end of Daniel Craig's run of movies. If you haven't seen it and you haven't figured out what it is from where we're talking about it. But, it just still feels illegal to say out loud. I feel like if any of us say it, the police are going to burst into the room and take <laughs> us away. I'll risk yeah. it. I'll risk it. Bond dies at the end. You don't have oh, to look Christ. so happy about it, Helen. I mean, I'm, but I, I actually, this one I did also kind of see coming. I felt like... Like it, the missiles. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like he... I felt like Daniel Craig himself personally and maybe the team around him also uh, wanted to to have a sense of an, a complete arc to his embodiment of the character that he wanted to go out on a sort of Logan-y way, you know, a, a, a sense of an actual ending rather than just a, a sort of dribble-drabble into the next guy. I think he wanted to sort of put a, a full stop at the end of his Bond tenure. And so in that sense, I, I saw why they did it. I do think... I think you're not alone, Chris. I think a lot of people in this country where Bond is, and I cannot stress this enough for for anyone not from the UK, Bond is a religion here. It is a weird, weird thing, and a huge number of people I, build. I don't, I don't believe in God. I believe in James Bond. There you go. And uh, I do think a lot of people build it into their identity, almost this sense that there will be another Bond film in a couple of years, and I will go see it, and it will matter to me. So yeah, so I think I think it did shock people a lot. Yeah, yeah. The, the the bond thing is like I say it's something I've come around to I've reconciled myself to now it's nothing I can do about it I can't go in and change it it is what it is and um, you know there is going to be another bond film in a couple of years time there will be another bond announced I would predict within the first three months of next year and uh, and we'll and we'll get on with it again and we've talked about how the fact that you know we talked about the fact that this introduces the idea of stakes again that if if you have a bond who can die now and that he's not impervious to everything then you know then great that's actually a good thing i think so i'm beginning to see the the light at the end of the tunnel hmm. i i i i i was very much wrong footed by it and didn't see it coming but also bought it because i thought it landed <laughs> like bond Yes, indeed. Uh, but the sort of the emotional weight I thought it brought was worth it. Also, I like that it's uh, it's almost like a wiping of the slate. 
so that we can kind of reset for whatever comes next. They wiped him clean off the board. They they, <laughs> they did. Him We're going to completely obliterate you down to the atomic level. Oh, <laughs> Fair see, enough. That, this feels like we've gone a bit too far, but uh, yeah. okay. Well, no, I, I, I particularly enjoy yeah. the fact that everyone's like, no, no, he's not dead. He's not dead. I mean, really, unless he's made of adamantium. And even then, you know, it's like, come on. Yeah, he's pretty dead. Whilst we're ambling down Spoiler Boulevard, <laughs> it strikes me that perhaps one of the things I'm sure we've talked about in previous reviews of the year uh, have been scenes that kind of affected you emotionally the most. Uh, those are often um, uh, allied to scenes of loss or death. And, you know, maybe it's fun to talk about the, the best death scenes of the year your favorite mm-hmm. your favorite moments where a character bought it in a spectacular way and there's a lot of those obviously in, in the suicide squad there are that's true that did not affect me emotionally on any level i think no, no, I'm, not, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying the two are linked the two are quite distinct in my mind so you can have you can have moments or films that affected you really emotionally got you right in the feels and then you can also have those kind of maybe you know more lurid death scenes um i, I know you've just set us up for suicide squad but if we're talking lurid death scenes head in the bread slicer fear street part one as that is a, a scene that i cannot unsee that is that was mm. the moment where you go oh okay yeah this is rl stein and i know it's not goosebumps but it's a teen horror slasher thing and then you go oh my god they are not fucking about with this one that that is one of the goriest things i've seen yeah, that was in a grim. long time um but it was kind of gloriously so best death Duncan Idaho. I mean, I was actually going to go for um, Leto Atreides. I mean, his is good. His is his good. Is there's cool. something about the sacrifice yeah. of Duncan. And it's like, oh, no, you've killed him. No, you haven't. He's going to kill a whole bunch more of you. Oh, he has his Boromir moment. Yeah. In your face, Sardaukar. Yeah, ha! that's right. The Emperor's fist, my ass. What? I beg your pardon. <laughs> did you? Did Good we watch Lord. a different Dune? <laughs> <laughs> crucially, crucially, not the Emperor's fist in my ass. It's very important. There's a distinction. There's a comma. There's a comma. It was implied. There is a comma there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think Helen enjoyed Duke Leto's death scene mainly because Oscar Isaac was naked the no, whole time. No, <laughs> yes. it wasn't. I just but think naked. it's. I think it's really. I think it's really cool the way it's played. I think it is actually very, very well done. Um, I knew you would all think that about me just because I slightly perved over some other people earlier. But mm. genuinely speaking, I think it's a really, really cool um, moment, and I think it's so much better played than in the David Lynch film. That's one of those moments that I mean, is that's a fairly low bar. I know, but you know, like like some things you're like the David Lynch film you watched at the time, you're like, okay, that's kind of how I saw it in my head, I guess, maybe ish. Right, fine. There's a few moments like that. That was one of the things that just was like, no, that doesn't work. And it and it really, really worked for me here. I like mm-hmm. the idea that he came up with a different solution to that. Because obviously Lynch gets around the obviously it bothered Lynch that if you breathe poison gas in someone's face, they don't die. So he's had, there's a hallucinatory quality in the Lynch film, isn't it, where he mistakes Peter DeVries for the Baron. Hmm. Whereas in this one, obviously, it's the shield and the fact that he flies up to the ceiling. But I like the fact that he found a creative way around that without you know yeah. doing the same thing. To, to take it back to the Suicide Squad, because I had to just like refresh my mind about that film, but the opening of the Suicide Squad, especially yeah. the second time around, I was just cackling the whole time. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so awful 
uh, where you, I, I guess we should explain what it is. Uh, but yeah, we realise the characters we've been introduced to, in, including Michael Rooker's character, uh, are the A team, and the B team is actually who we're going to be following for the whole film. So all these characters, we we a Suicide Squad gets suicided squatted in the opening five minutes in insanely gory fashion uh nathan fillion's tdk with his arms flopping around everywhere uh weasel immediately drowning upon dropping into the sea <laughs> maybe the, the 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 greatest uh viscerally disgusting freak of the year yeah just a glorious glorious opening to that film doesn't he crawl out during the credits? So he technically, does. Not, technically a not a death. Technically not a death. Yeah. Technically not. The, the, the death that probably shocked me most this year was Michael Smiley in Censor. Ooh, didn't yeah. Didn't see shocked it coming. You, as in, you didn't see it coming? I or didn't you, see or... it coming. And then suddenly like, oh, that's nasty. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that happened. So, yeah, that's amazing. There was a, a character gets killed in Those Who Wish Me Dead, which I, 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 I don't want to say who it was, but... Uh, which is a film I really liked, and not very many other people seem to agree with me, but that's that's okay. Uh, Those who wish me dead, there's a character who dies in that who you you're really connected to, and it's really sad that mm. that character dies. Um, so that's a that's an interesting one. Uh, there was some decent gore in the likes of *Malignant* and *Spiral* from the Book of Saw. You know, I'll say that's one thing that *Spiral* has going for it. There's some there's some pretty grisly, nasty death sequences as you might expect from a from a Saw movie. Uh, but by and large, yeah. Mm. In terms of in terms of other stuff, in terms of affecting movies, again, I don't want to go into specifics. But um, a recent film involving a a, a man and a spider um, it got yeah. me right in the feels. If, yeah. I, if I'm honest yeah, with very you, much so. Uh, that, so that was very that much. was interesting. I would say, mm-hmm. and again, it is a spoiler for a film that came out at the beginning of the year. But I would say. The one of the most upsetting deaths and surprising deaths happens at the end of Promising Young Woman. Mm. That was one of the most yeah. uh, upsetting and disturbing things I've seen this year, and it's really, really stayed with me. I think the way mm-hmm. that they portray that, uh, or particularly that Emerald Fennell and, and Kerry Mulligan portray that, is in purposefully just absolutely brutal and so, so horrifying that the, the sound design is is just one of the most devastating things um i've i've ever seen in a film and i i kind of by the that film chews you up and spits you out in a way that it very much intentionally does that and i think it's very powerful for it um and there was a large part of me thinking oh i kind of it would have been amazing to see this in a cinema and just just sort of experience that film with an audience because i think it's about i think she made it for that collective experience but also i was quite glad just to be at home and be able to curl mm. up in a ball afterwards mm. and to do what they do but then also bring it back to a very very darkly comedic space after that the yeah. wild swing yeah. of that i i still can't quite get my head around but i really respect the way that they that, that was whole all played that sequence, that it's so elongated. And then when you read about it, the reason why it's so elongated is just really, really upsetting. I mean, it's, I think it's a fantastic film. I think it I don't is. think it's a perfect film. Um, it certainly, you know, it got a lot of uh, criticism among sort of online feminist circles for not representing the breadth and, and width of the problem and, and not representing, it, it representing a very small slice of, of the issue. But I think for what it does, I think it does exceptionally well and very cleverly. I'm going to throw three more in. Okay. Three more death scenes. So Nia DaCosta's Candyman 
reboot Quill, mm. Legacy Quill. I had a couple of interesting kills. There's one kill from, from the shot from from a quite a distance away with someone being dragged across a window, which was quite eerie. Uh, some nice gore in that also. Ben Wheatley's In the Earth has a, a major character being dispatched mm. in a very grisly manner. And in shock, they're saying something in a really mundane fashion. Like they're really being really menacing. Then something really bad happens to them. And all of a sudden they're like, um, excuse me, can someone take me to the hospital, please? <laughs> I really need to go to the hospital. And then they, then they get killed uh, in an even more horrible manner. Uh, and the last duel. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, the last duel, you know, comes down to the last duel between Matt Damon and Matt Damon and Adam Driver. And I deliberately didn't, read up on who won because it's based on real life events obviously so I didn't know who was going to win that going in and the film does a really really good job of 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 setting up the stakes what will happen including actual stakes mm-hmm. uh, should Matt Damon lose and therefore shock the Gree the Adam Driver character will be his version of events will be believed and Jodie Comer's character Marguerite will be burned at the stake uh, her her version of offence will be will be proven by God Himself to be the, to be wrong, and so the stakes are incredibly high in this in this thing, and it's so visceral and nasty, and you know it does one of those things that many movie fights don't do, which is and nobody does this brilliantly, by the way, as in the film nobody. Mm. What I'm saying is that the, people do do this brilliantly, which is it it takes into consideration and takes into account fatigue. In a, in a fight, yeah. and it takes into account the fact that when people get injured, they lose blood and they lose energy, and therefore they're maybe not quite as vibrant and and vital as they were at the fight's beginning. And also, it makes clear how fucking terrifying it would be to have people swinging a great big broadsword at you or running at you on a horse with a metal spear. So that fight and that death, when it comes, whoever who whoever wins that, I'm not sure if I... Oh, Sorry, you've given I already gave it away. Right. With, with, with spoiler warnings yeah. around it. But. So, with spoiler warnings. And this is a big old spoiler section. Um, I'll try and figure out a way to... to to uh, let people know that this is the big old spoiler section. But yeah, that that, that I thought was absolutely brutal. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I say, the film Nobody has loads of great deaths in it as well. Really inventive, fun deaths. But also you have this idea of Bob Odenkirk, who thankfully we didn't lose this year. <laughs> Came very close. Bob, you put us through the ringer for a little bit. Um, but, you know, he reinvented himself at the age of 58 as an action hero. And Nobody is, I think, just one of the it's one of my favorite films of the year it may not be one of the best films of the year but I think it's absolutely Mm. terrific and that's got lots of great stuff another fun action film which we haven't talked about is Boss Level which Mm. was a bit of a surprise I did not expect anything of that and was thoroughly charmed by a sort of Groundhog Day but but with cartoonish action. The second, really, really you're going to mention Palm Springs as well. We're on this, aren't you? So it's going to be here for this darn stuff. right. It was a Groundhog Day year, yeah. Palm Springs and the map of tiny perfect things as well mm. were all this year, weren't they? Yeah, no, Boss Level was was fantastic. And, and, and Frank Grillo, oh my God, he is I mean, so much fun in that because it has so much fun with it. Like it really, really sort of leans into the humorous side of it. And I enjoyed that enormously. Am I the only person here who's seen Cop Shop? I no, no. Cop oh, Shop no, was I a lot of fun yeah. as well. Yeah, 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 great Grillo yeah. performance. Yeah. And, and weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what you know, this was a year of like twos. So a lot of people did twos. There were two Chloe Zhao films. There were two Edgar Wright films. There were two Ridley Scott films. There were two Frank Grillo films. There were two Jerry Butler films. And one of those Jerry Butler films was Greenland. Yes. And oh, Greenland, yeah. Greenland, Greenland. There were two Killer Comet movies. We're bookending <laughs> it with Greenland and Don't Look Up. And uh, that'll be a hell of a double bill. And uh, Greenland, Greenland, Greenland um, is 
Yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> That'd be what what is the best film with a spoiler in the title of the film Greenland? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the last duel. That's going to go in as well. While we're on the spoiler section, and I feel like we're sort of still in the sphere of of insane plots and twists and things we didn't see coming, can we talk about the beach that makes you old? Is is this a safe space to talk about the beach that made you old? I think it's just called old. One of my one of my highlights of the year was uh, talking to my good friend Sam Summers, with whom I do the Disneyversity podcast, available now on all podcast apps. But I uh, was walking with Sam and uh, he was like, do you know what? I'm never going to see old. I've never seen an M. Night Shyamalan movie. He was like, please tell me everything that happens in old. And I spent 15 minutes regaling the entire plot of old and seeing someone even just react to being told what (laughs) happens in that film was uh, was a glorious thing. Sorry, sorry. Your friend Sam has never seen an M. Night Shyamalan movie. He's never seen any of them. I know. This is wild. Not even After Earth. <laughs> so, Ben, he's a co-host of Disneyversity, he right? Is. So I, I I now invite him to be on my new podcast, Night School, oh. in which I take Sam Summers to the University of Shyamalan every single episode. And there's only about 12 films, so we'll be, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be over really say, quickly. I would listen to the shit out of that. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, but yes, he does know what happens in, in old. But yeah, what a twist. He's not seen any M. Night Shyamalan films. Wild. Amazing. That is but a twist. It, it just, I will not spoil it for James, but yeah, ludicrousness and joyous insanity. And I was really worried about that film. I was kind of really looking forward to it but at the same time going i think this taps into some stuff that really actually like deep down makes me feel extremely bad and upset of like what if you were on a beach and everyone you were there with (laughs) uh including your family just rapidly aged and died in front of you wouldn't that be absolutely awful uh do i want to see this film is it gonna make me feel things i don't want to feel uh no it was just big schlocky b-movie bullshit and it was kind of great for that (laughs) no but this is this is the thing about genre movies they can ask the questions they can they can it's almost like trojan horses they ask the questions that if you put them in a in a non-genre film people might be a bit turned off by what if i went to a beach and it turned old these are questions we grapple with existentially <laughs> what if i what if i forged a a psychic link between myself and the 1960s and started seeing people being murdered these are questions that you know that in another movie would be would be um quite dull and redundant but with genre trappings yes please what if my dad was a deer man who killed people with antlers these are questions <laughs> that only horror films can really tackle my dad's a deer man but in a different way <laughs> <laughs> I think if they'd called Anthers Dear Man, more people would have seen it. Probably true. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Probably true, maybe. Indeed. What I want to do now is go through Empire's top 20 films of the year. But before we do that, what were your moments of the year? What were your scenes of the year? And if there's anything that we haven't mentioned or have overlooked, and quite frankly, James, I am surprised you have not mentioned Dune that much. Well, I'm about to. <laughs> so my there are so many scenes from Dune uh, that I could pick out, but I think one that I genuinely love is the arrival on Arrakis, which, mm. yes, is the space bagpipes, but it's when the doors of the ship opened and you hear like the chitter of the Atreides soldiers' shields and the next sort of sliver of light comes over their eyes and sort of lights them up. And for me, that was kind of, like the sort of scales from your eyes moments like i am in the cinema i am experiencing this on this 
fuck off great massive IMAX screen. I'm like, this, this is why I go to the cinema. And it was amazing. And the music rises and they stroll out and they first set foot on the sands of Arrakis. And for me, that was, that was everything. I I kept tearing up in that film just the fact that the film was happening in front of me. It wasn't like I was sad <laughs> about things. I was just like, I can't believe I'm watching this. I can't yeah. believe I'm here. It's happening at last. It had been such a long wait. And you, you know, James and I had been champing at the bit for this film for, two, well, two years slash all our lives. But yeah. it just, to watch it, to watch that first encounter with a sandworm, um, just, blew my mind Jeremy just you can call him Jeremy drop. it's fine it's fine just use his name <laughs> um, I, it just even the little touches the little mouse that runs around the dunes at the very end that's a oh, muadib yes. which matters Wadib. it just it's amazing It's it, it was an astonishing astonishing cinema experience just, yeah oh, it really was um, I think that would be high for me. I mean, I think, you know, the scenes we won't talk about in Spider-Man No Way Home will be very high for me mm. in terms of moments of the year uh, the, the seagull song in Barb and Star, I didn't see it coming. I had no idea it was there when I watched it, and I was absolutely blown away. Last Night in Soho, the first trip into the 1960s, mm-hmm. is visually dazzling. It's brilliantly soundtracked. It's incredibly well cut together. It's the dance sequence, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, the, but the whole thing from from when she walks out of you know and across the cross Shaftesbury Avenue and and into the Cafe de Paris, it's. It's a, it's just flawless, absolutely flawless filmmaking. Um, I mean, basically everything in West Side Story. I was on board from the opening shot, but America blew my mind. Uh, America, I thought was was just one of the most incredible cinematic things I've seen this year. So yeah, pretty much all of that as well. Just to mention it once more, basically all the musical sequences from In the Heights. The opening number is <laughs> is incredible. 96,000 at the swimming pool is uh, easily one of the highlights of that film. The Paciencia y Fe number with uh, Abuela Claudia, I think is just beautifully done. And the final moments of In the Heights with all the fire hydrants going um, is, is something that brought me a lot of peace uh, in this not-so-PC year. One moment that I really, really got me and uh, in a film that I actually really liked was in A Quiet Place Part 2, The Bear Trap. <gasps> I The Bear Trap. When I saw that film, I went back to see it uh, on opening weekend at the cinema with an audience of people, um, mainly just to see everyone lose their shit at The Bear Trap. Uh, I watched, my friend watched it on a plane uh, the other day and I watched over his shoulder as The Bear Trap happened and uh, he jumped out of his seat pretty much uh and the other thing (laughs) my other moment of the year uh was seeing shang chi uh and bringing my partner lizzie with me uh and she does she sees some of the marvel stuff she doesn't see a huge amount of it she doesn't really know too much of what's going on in the wider universe uh but she came to seeing shang chi and was really enjoying it and having a great time i should mention that lizzie is scouse and uh I looked over to her about an hour into the film and her jaw was on the floor. Her arm was physically outstretched. She was pointing at the screen because in the background of this giant Asian-American fantasy crazy epic was a Liverpool scarf, a Liverpool FC scarf. (laughs) And she was like, that's a Liverpool scarf. That's a Liverpool scarf. She didn't know who Trevor Slattery was, understandably. But seeing her react to that moment was one of my favourite things this year. Have you shown her since Iron Man 3, in which we see actual footage of a Liverpool game? No, but maybe maybe over Christmas. 
working backwards, working backwards with Trevor Slattery. Yeah, that was a big moment for me as well. And sure, nobody, also with its You'll Never Walk Alone musical button. <laughs> and uh, for me, my moments of the year, I mean, there are so many, many of them we've already mentioned. Jamie Dornan's song in Barbara Star Go to Fistel Del Mar. Um, lots of stuff the the Furby gag and the Mitchells versus the Machines. There are tons of moments in spite of my No Way Home that I can't even talk about <laughs> for obvious reasons, but that reminded me of why I fell in love with cinema in the first place. But for me, I'm going to go for a another musical moment. I'm going to go for something that's been much ballyhooed and much talked about on social media. But for me, it was the stand-up moment of Get Back which is the moment in Get Back where Paul McCartney is desperate, well, he doesn't even desperately, he's just kind of idly strumming away on his bass guitar, which blows my mind, <laughs> first of all. And you can begin to hear, even before he realises it, you, you begin to hear the strumming pattern and the, the signature rhythm of the song Get Back begin to emerge before he realises it. And he starts writing Get Back right there with George and Ringo initially bored, but then kind of just realizing that something golden is happening, something magical is happening. And they begin to join in. And then a couple of minutes later, we have the rough framework of what would become the song Get Back. That is a thrilling, magical hairs in the back of your neck moment and for that reason that is my moment of the year but there's so many other great moments there's so many other great films as well and perhaps we'll discuss some of those after we run through empire's top 20 films of 2021 now these are all voted for by the writers of empire magazine uh, freelancers included Uh, and i will say that traditionally and i've never understood why I guess it's something to do with the way that magazines are are numbered or or dated, that uh, we compile our top 20 of the year uh, towards the end of October. <laughs> I've never understood that, but uh, but there you go. It's the way it's been done since, uh, since the magazine began. Uh, so this top 20 of the year doesn't include some of the films that have come out since that would certainly be in the top 20, but let's give it a go anyway, and then we can add in some some oversights, should there be any, okay? So here we go. Top 20, number 20, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, and this is a Questlove's documentary. Yeah, this is, I mean, just incredibly impressive stuff. So it's it was a, a massive outdoor concert in Harlem that was billed as the sort of black Woodstock. It was six weeks long, sort of every Sunday for six weeks in a public park. And they had these massive stars come along and perform and it was all televised, it was all recorded and it was meant to be televised. And there just wasn't the interest for it because, well, essentially I think racism. So it just never was actually broadcast and the, the tapes have just sat around ever since. So Questlove found this, you know, recovered this, restored this, and has made it uh, cut it cut together essentially the best bits, and it's stunning. If you're any kind of music fan, you got to check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nineteen, Barb and Star go to Fista Del Mar. It's oh, glorious, isn't it? I uh, the the moment when we all, as you said, Chris, got the screeners through very last minute, like the night before the film uh, was coming out, before we were due to do the podcast. All kind of expecting, having seen the weird trailers and stuff, but not really knowing 
what to expect and it was just a joy to see something that is playing on that kind of SNL register, that Austin Powers register, so freewheeling and funny. Um, that is another, as you said, uh, Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo film about female friendships, but in completely a different way to Bridesmaids. A uh, very different style of humour, but the the performances in this, the, the gags are knockout. And I think it has a real visual sense to it too. Like it has a, a stylish directorial flair from Josh Greenbaum. It's his first film and the sort of pastel shaded Margaritaville explosion uh, that you see on the screen has uh, something about it as well. So it's just absolutely batshit and a lot of fun. Number 18, Censor. Oh, I loved this film. Uh, just the, the the blending of different realities and Neve Algar absolutely tearing up the screen. Uh, just beautifully done. The very specific things that Prano is is kind of swirling together in terms of the the 80s and uh, Thatcher politics and video nasties and it is a very very specific set of ingredients and she just brings them together incredibly well. 17, Promising Young Woman. Yes. I love the fact that this is kind of a fizz-pop bubblegum palette with a none more dark subject matter. And the fact that it kind of straddles the thriller, it's part horror film, it's part comedy. It's just, it's it's tonally excellent and dealing with something that could have been handled in a very different way. Yes, as Helen mentioned, it is flawed and not everyone loved it. But I think she knew what she wanted. She wanted mm-hmm. to tackle the Absolutely. whole rape culture thing and she knew how she wanted to tackle it. And I think she was very successful in the way she did it. Great film. 16, Shiva Baby. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a comedy of social embarrassment, uh, essentially, but um, it's it's really, really well done. Rachel Senna as the uh, as the star just kind of carries the entire film. She's essentially in an awkward position at a family gathering, and it is really tough to watch, but in a very funny way. Number 15, we have Annette. I love this film so much. <laughs> It's so weird and, and bizarre, and Annette herself is one of the characters of the year. We haven't talked really enough about her, but Annette, the character, we can say it now, she's a puppet, like it's been fairly well publicised, but what an amazing touch in a completely gonzo, realistic, unrealistic, uh, magical f- musical. Love it. Yep. Hell of a year for Sparks. Another double whammy from them. The Sparks Brothers documentary, and then Annette which is great. 14, The Father, which uh, in a weird way gave me one of my favourite moments of the podcast this year, which was whenever I uh, did a Tony Hopkins impression to Tony yeah. Hopkins. Uh, which, and another indeed. And uh, he seemed to approve. So that, that was all right. You've basically peaked at that point. You should have just retired. <laughs> I should no, have retired a long time but ago. But then he did a Sean Connery impression for Steven Spielberg. So, you know. He's, he's happy he went on. I'm a fucking ham. I'll do anything to anyone. <laughs> I want to see you do Danny Boyle to Danny Boyle. That'll be when you can finish. That might take more explaining. <laughs> it's, it's easy to kind of go... It's easy to kind of go to Anthony Hopkins. Uh, you have... Uh, it's one of your films I absolutely love, and I, I quote it constantly on the podcast. So if you don't mind, I'm going to do that for you now. But it's in your voice. It's recognisable-ish as your voice. Uh, and Steven Spielberg is a Sean Connery impression. Everyone does Sean Connery impression. Uh, Danny Boyle... Hey, Danny, 
Uh, I do an impression of you, but as some sort of capricious kind of northern nymph. Um, and, and you bounce around and you're really enthusiastic about everything. And it doesn't actually sound anything like you. It's not even roughly from the same part of the country that you're from. But I feel like capture your spirit. Do you want to hear it? Okay. Make that happen. That's, That's probably, harder probably to do. One. Anyway, yeah. The Father, which is the one at number 14, is, is an astonishingly moving film. Really worth seeing. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, number 13, Petite Maman. Uh, so the guy who thought it was the best film of the year, I'm sorry, my friend, it's the 13th best mm-hmm. film of the year, and that is officially, that's it's legally wrong. binding. It's wrong. It's, it's wrong. It's great. should be. It's high. great. Yeah. yeah, unlucky for Petite Maman. Uh, perhaps if it had been Nicolas Cage banging on about a pig, it yes. might have been higher. Number 12 is Pig. The film we never expected to be what it ultimately was. Like when that first trailer came out, and we were like, it's John Wick with a pig. And yet it, <laughs> it is, and yet it completely isn't, because it's nothing of the kind. Um, delightful, surprising, melancholic, wonderful. And even though Nick Cage produces an awful lot of shit this day, these days, I, he's still capable of greatness, and this is it. Mm-hmm. Number 11. Oh, I haven't even mentioned this oh, film. Oh, no, yeah. The Green Knight. Yeah, possibly the best looking film of the year, certainly up there. Absolutely astonishing performance from Dev Patel. I'm still trying to under understand what it all means, un- unpack what it all means, um, but I just had such a good time. I've seen it twice. Uh, I will watch it again. It, there's just so many layers of myth and legend and sort of illusion in it that I'm I'm very very excited to see more of it but yeah it's astonishing film yeah great film magical great film available right now as well so a lot of these films are available right now so that's on Amazon uh, and then number 10 is The Power of the Dog which is on Netflix if you fancy <laughs> a really depressing Benedict Cumberbatch western of an evening uh, but it's great Jane mm. Campion's The Power of the Dog number yeah, 10 amazing film Number nine, another film we haven't really mentioned yet oh, yeah. is a film with one of the most iconic scenes of the year, Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round. I mean, we should we, we talked about musical numbers. We didn't really talk about specifically dance scenes, which which no, this one has. But, Our bad. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe it's because we're mostly teetotalers or near it here. But uh, but even so, this is a this is a very good film by a, a group of friends who decide to experiment with staying slightly drunk at all times to see if their <laughs> lives get better. Yes, I might do that, actually. I don't drink, but I might start doing that to see if the podcasting improves. <laughs> Couldn't get much worse. <laughs> Another good year for Mads, whose uh, Writers of Justice, which is available right now uh, on yes. Sky, is also, also a builder. Yeah. So check it out. Number eight. Now, this is it. Okay, so how the fuck did this get on the list? Whenever this was compiled in October. Because it had this screen for some come people. Out. Okay. All right. Okay. No, I'm, I'm not outraged. I'm just curious. I'm curious is all. Number eight is Titan, which is a film that hasn't even come out yet in the UK at the time of recording. It's coming out on Boxing Day. Uh, Julia Ducournau's Titan, which is frankly bucking bonkers. Uh, number seven, The Mitchells versus The Machines. Yes, well, yes. when I discovered this film and told you to order it, it was a five-star masterpiece. None of you believe me, but it is, and I was right, and that's what I'd like to say. Yeah, it's so much better than it needed to be. It's an absolutely delightful film. <laughs> it is wonderful. Go on, Ben. Go on. Yes. I discovered this. No. We, we all knew it was going to be interesting because Lord and Miller were producing, but I think yeah. we didn't know quite how special it was going to be. I honestly don't think it's that many notches below Spider-Verse in terms of like the... the mm brilliantly wild stuff that it's doing but it's the emotional stuff the family side of it is beautifully beautifully done uh we didn't talk about uh the the numa numa song in the final reel in the songs of the year segment of this podcast but that's mm. one of my favorite sequences of, of the last 12 months easily 
Okay, number six was a film that is a film that was my film of the year mm. for a long, long time. Uh, and may still be. We'll see. Palm Springs. It's very good. It's very, so good. Very good. And again, another surprising film, which I think, you know, like maybe like Barb and Star, I'd maybe kind of written off ahead of time. as oh God, this is just going to be nonsense that I'm sure Chris will love and I will hate. And yet it's genius. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's, it's um you know, a, a, a very, very effective spin on Groundhog Day and just great, great comedy, great surprises. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti. Uh, it is fantastic uh, and is such a great spin on Groundhog Day that it spins right past Groundhog mm. Day for me. But hey. we've discussed this in the past and apparently that is uh, almost a, a heretical viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I figured out what's happened with this top 20. It's been updated. It and has. adjusted as things have gone along because number five is West Side Story, I saw and this, this definitely and was had not disgusted and appalled by its entry in here. Is this, did you just stuff this in here, Ben, or was this like a sanctioned thing? The, the, this was this was sanctioned. It wasn't much. I am glad it's in the list. Uh, I think West Side Story is great. <sighs> I think this is Spielberg so invigorated. You can really feel that he's been really wanting to do this for a long time, yeah. and the, the way that it shot, the energy of it, not just of of the dance sequences and stuff, but of of Spielberg as part of that in the mix with the camera uh, is just amazing and uh, we've spoken in the podcast recently about how I don't think we're all on board really with Ansel Elgort's uh, Tony but Ariana DeBose Rachel Ziegler and Mike Faist are all like 10 out of 10 outstanding performances super star making like yeah. go and see them on the big screen while you can James, you, also your film of the year. Oh my to, god! This yeah. genuinely, like, I'm not saying this is obviously wasn't the worst film I've seen all year. That would be a ridiculous thing to say. I will say that this was one of the most trying cinematic experiences of my year, where I, it was very long and I was very bored and I did it's not have so fun. Good. Oh, I don't it's know just, what to it, tell you. It it looked to me like like Spielberg saw it on an original release and has been thinking about how he'd like to do it ever since. And yeah, also I mean, props to Tony Kushner who did just a beautiful job updating the script. Absolutely wonderful. For me, it is the least. I, I liked it a lot, obviously, but I think I preferred In the Heights. Yes, I did not absolutely. Although, no. I think the songs are better in West Side Story. Boo! But yeah. I don't like any of the songs in West Side Story. But then, as we've discussed, I am a husk of a man. You are a husk of a man, and you have cloth for ears. Huh. Number four, it's the uh, the lesser of Chloe Zhao's two movies this year. <laughs> it is, of course, Nomadland. It didn't kick the bucket, but it shit the bucket. <laughs> Good it's Lord. Nomadland. You're obsessed with the bucket. The I don't. Bucket, it's, it's the star of the film. It's the unsung hero of Nomadland. Is the shit bucket not unsung by you? You've been singing on about it for a year now. I mean, look, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film, and it's an incredibly you human film. Bucket. It's a lovely. And it's bucket. a lovely. Bu- it's a beautiful bucket. It's what just is it on your bucket list, Jimbo. <laughs> oh, it's definitely. It's very high. It's very high. on my <laughs> list of great movie buckets. It's 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 definitely up there. <laughs> with Francis McDormand's ass attached to it. Oh God. Number three is another Oscar winner. No buckets required this time. It is the lovely Meanery. I mean, it's a beautiful story of like family, though. I thought this was really, really just the the sense of detail and the sense of scale and the sense of place and time was was gorgeous. If you haven't seen Meanery, do do see it. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Great child performance as well. Young Abs- Alan Kim was it Alan Kim. Mm, it stunning, is yes. stunning actor. Yes. Good stuff. Number two, Sound of Metal. Such a good film. Such a good film. 
Yeah, he's extraordinarily good in this. I just like the the he being of course Riz he Ahmed. being of course Riz Ahmed. He yes. has a name. Uh, I I think it's beautifully done and kind of the emotional journey to go through to sort of understand what being hearing and being deaf is and what and what isn't a handicap and I, I i love i love the kind of journey he goes through in this film and i thought it's so beautifully done and the final moments of that film and the sound design in it but the final moments of that film are glorious yeah i love this film i thought the ending was absolutely tremendous uh it is definitely in my top 10 of the year it is our number two of the year but it is now time to reveal our number one film of the year now we were updating the list but not so recently that we're going to consider the likes of Spider-Man No Way Home or The Matrix Resurrections or even Don't Look Up, which means that there can be no doubt about what is our film of the year. Take it away, Jimbo and Helen. Dune! Oh my god, it's Dune! So I discovered um, this film, five stars, Ben Travis Empire, <laughs> uh, and I'm glad you can all see that I was right to be excited about it. I mean, look, this is, Frank Herbert's Dune is a fucking magnificent book, which starts a phenomenal work of, you know, seminal masterwork sci-fi. Like, it's it's just, the world building is incredible, the narrative is brilliant, and it is one of these things where it is not unadaptable, obviously it has been adapted multiple times, but a very, very difficult thing to adapt well. And I was very excited for this to be done, but also terrified and that Denny Villeneuve was doing it gave me because I love his stuff I I just I love everything he's ever done and I really really wanted this to succeed while being secretly terrified it wasn't it wouldn't and when we went to see it and to see him succeed so beyond my wildest expectations a film that looked beyond stunning that kind of took me to Arrakis and brought this story to life in a way that I never dreamed was possible and to to take the moments of this story that I've kind of imagined since I read this as a teenager and make them not just real but actually improve upon my sort of mental imaginings of what these could be I just this this for me was an absolutely perfect adaptation there is nothing about it I think he could have done he of uh, course better. being there Denny Fielder ex- absolutely ecstatic that we're going to get more Dune when he does part two Incredible cast as well. I mean, you know, embarrassment of riches in the cast. Oh, uh, so good. The, the biggest sets I've ever, I think, been on, like you know, yes, two, yes, three hundred meters. Helen, I'm yes, just we no, know. But like in terms of the scale of the filmmaking, you know, f- going to deep into the real desert, getting mm. the proper sand dunes, getting the proper rocks and everything else. It, it's it's actual absolutely sandworms. gorgeous. Actual, actual sandworms. real sandworms. Actual he actually real Jeremy just invented them. Sandworms. Yeah. Mm. yeah, amazing. It's it's a it's a fucking masterpiece. It really is. It is cinema. I'm so relieved we're getting part two as well because I went into this cold mm-hmm. other than Helen and James's banging on about it for such a long time and repeating bits of the litany of fear and all of that stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't know this story going in and it really got its hooks in me and the prospect of not getting the rest of the story was was pretty worrying and I am so, so glad. Now we just have to spoil a dodge for what, two years? That's not that long. No problem. I mean, That's easy. Sure. Easy. You'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be all right. Uh, okay. So that's the top 20. Mm. No Bond, not top 20. No now, I'll, I'll, I'll say once again, mm. we had not seen Matrix or Spider-Man before that got amended, uh, I guess. But no Bond. Uh, we had seen Bond and Bond was eligible and, and wasn't in the top 20. No. Surprised? I mean, it wouldn't be in my top 10 films of the year, no. obviously, but I'm a famously a Bond hater. Um, but mm-hmm. maybe it just didn't quite have the joy that people wanted. 
Maybe. Yeah, I didn't love it. I thought it was decent, but it wouldn't be on my list. But then having said that, I was in an unprecedented position where not a single Marvel movie was on my list of the best films of the year, <gasps> which has never Actually, happened no, before. Me too, me too. Although having said that, if I had seen Spider-Man when I did my list, then clearly that would have been there and very high as well. Me too. Uh, but, but without that, no, it wasn't. So I felt a bit out of sorts even doing a list, frankly. <laughs> Eternals was on mine, uh, but... It would probably be knocked off now by Spider-Man No Way Home, which would knock an awful lot of movies off my top 10. But then again, again, I'm not sure whether I'm responding to the film or responding to yeah. the experience of the film, um, and which are two different things. Well, my but list was just Dune 10 times. so I It mean, was just, yes. Um, Dune Part 1, Dune Part 2, <laughs> Dune Part 3, and so on. Uh, and of course, Red Notice. Uh, I would have absolutely oh, put course. Red Notice. I would have created a new position <laughs> above number one. And, just for uh, that we got 11 points. I realised actually I lied. Eternals was on my list. Sorry. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, a couple of films that, that weren't in the top 20 then that I think are worthy of discussion. One is uh, I Care A Lot. Jay Blakeson's yeah. I Care A Lot, which in uh, Rosamund Pike's performance has one of the best villains and yeah, slash anti-heroes really and good. slash just generally best performances of the year. That's mm. a fantastic film. And also I'm going to... Um, I, I adored... Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Mm. I, I made I made lots of glib, blithe jokes about Wes Anderson's made his film again <laughs> uh, on the podcast, but that was before I'd seen it, and then I saw it, and I just fell head over heels for it. Uh, it's it's the most directed movie of the year, but I mean it as a compliment. It is glorious stuff from beginning to end. Uh, even well, maybe no, the Chalamet section lost me a little bit, but everything else was just perfection even, for me even that i like i think i think what i think we should say that it's it's almost engineered for people like us because it is about i think a love of magazines a love of writing about culture a love of taking you know possibly silly bits of art uh, seriously that's kind of you know that's kind of what we do for a living and it's it's sort of the theme of the film but i'm with you i i thought it was absolutely delightful from beginning to end. I was, yeah, I was super there with it. I'm very pleased to say I now have one of the Somblag cups. I'm just waiting <laughs> to get some um, prison asylum of ennui sheets for my bed and then I'm going to be set for life. I don't know if they would be on my like top 10, but things that I feel like people haven't seen enough this year, a couple of things that I uh, haven't really seen talked about at all in the last couple of weeks as we get all these lists coming out. One is... The White Tiger on Netflix, which I thought was brilliant. It's a, uh, uh, if you liked Parasite and the sort of class commentary of Parasite wrapped up in a kind of grabby thriller, it's got quite a Scorsese-ish crime movie feel. White Tiger, it's on Netflix, it's brilliant. Um, that's mm -hmm. definitely worth Good tracking film. down. The other thing that sort of just came out, I think maybe towards the very end of last year, um, but just on, on VOD and then now is on, uh, well, now and Sky Cinema, The Kid Detective, which many people seem to have not heard of uh, is absolutely brilliant. That's Adam Brody uh, playing a, mm -hmm. well, a kid who was a kid detective in his town and now he's grown up and in his 30s and he's a bit of a sad sack uh, and ends up solving or trying to solve a very dark case. And it is such a specific tonal uh, work and it's, it's kind of darkly funny. The mystery side of it is brilliantly done. The ending is one of the most kind of 
oh, it's, it's still sitting with me now. It's uh, it's a brilliant film uh, that not enough people have seen or not enough people were talking about. So yeah, my, my two recommendations of things that just probably passed you by in everything else going on, White Tiger and The Kid Detective. I don't know if we've talked enough about Last Night in Soho, obviously. Um, Edgar Wright's uh, kind of thriller, I guess, psychological thriller more than anything else, but it's got elements that feel like a ghost story. It's got elements that feel you know, dangerous and edgy. I just, um, I thought there were fantastic, fantastic performances by Thomas and Mackenzie and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. It's a, uh, it's a really impressive film. Yeah. I'm still unpacking the last kind of half hour or so of that film. Cause there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, to, to kind of wrap your head around towards the end. Um, but for me, the first hour and a half or so is some of the greatest filmmaking that Edgar Wright has ever done. And, and the, the, the technical mastery and how that interweaves with the narrative. And I, I think it's beautifully done. I was really, really, really impressed with, um, with so much of that film. I'm going to, looking forward to seeing it again to see how it sits on a second viewing in terms of where it goes in that final reel um but yeah he he is on as good form as ever i would say i'm going to give a shout out to kate which is the mary elizabeth winstead action thriller mm. which is on netflix i like that uh, she's an assassin who has been poisoned and is trying to figure out who poisoned her before she carks it while well, it's causing all sorts of mayhem in tokyo uh, i thought it was really stylish and again it's one of those movies where i had kind of pre-dismissed it a little bit but it's got really good stuff going for it not least of which is is Winstead who's really terrific in the lead role um but yeah I thought it was a, a good year I'd say overall this year uh I would give this a solid seven a solid seven out of ten um should we be self-aggrandizing for a second and talk about our favorite moments that the podcast or the magazine has afforded this this year? What what if who have you interviewed that you you've always wanted to interview, or was there an experience that you had that you really really loved and stuck in the memory? Well, uh, I wrote two cover features this year. I did my first cover features for Empire. One of them was, admittedly, for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, but mm, I still can't have it all. Can't have everything. <laughs> uh, and the Book of Boba Fett issue, which, as we record this, is is still on sale. I don't know when exactly this is coming out, but you'll still be able to read it online or in certain places. But yeah, having the chance to do a Marvel cover feature and a Star Wars cover feature has been real sort of career high point stuff. I had Lin-Manuel Miranda for the podcast the other day and had my In the Heights feature earlier in the year. So very happy, Ben. <laughs> and a happy Ben is a happy everybody else because then he doesn't go into one of his murder murder fugue states. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, oh, hey, I just remembered Freaky. Yes, Freaky at last. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That was last goodness. year, wasn't it? No, oh, it, it came didn't out come out year. last year. I reviewed it last year. I wrote yeah. a review of this last September. It came out in like June or something. Like <laughs> yeah, it was June. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I forgot it was because at one point it was my top 10 of the year and then it dropped off at the last minute. And um, yeah, but that's got some great kills in it. And mm-hmm. uh, in Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton, two of the, the best slash funniest performances of the year as well. And it's one of those little hidden gems that absolutely fucking tanked at the box office. Uh, pandemic contributed to that, of mm. course. But, you know, if you can see Freaky, go and see it somehow. Yeah. See it on whatever. And then hopefully they'll make a sequel. Because it's from Christopher Landon who did the Happy Death Day movies. So, yeah. It's good stuff. Anyway, yes, self-aggrandizement. James. 
I have watched Dune many times. Having said that, like that was one of my high points was going to that first screening of Dune. That was uh, that was that was. I mean, I've waited so long for it, so that was a big high point for me. Uh, honestly, it sounds sort of slightly sort of like schmaltzy, but that day in September, our first day back in the office, that was an absolute delight for me. We'd been away for so very long. It so had been like. Long. I mean, how how long had it been? It was like a year and a bit, like whatever it was, like almost a year and a half. And to come back and sort of be amongst you absolute twats again was was a delight. And then to record this podcast in the studio as well. Mm. And I hadn't realised, because we've been doing it remotely for so long and it, it had been absolutely fine, but I hadn't realised what a difference it makes in terms of the energy, just being in the room uh, and being able to do that. So that was a delight. The live podcast that we've done this year, especially the one at London Podcast Festival, those were wonderful. Just being out, seeing people face to face, like actually getting to, you know, do it on stage. That was fantastic. You did it on stage. Oh yes. my god! Yeah, sorry, Helen. That was uh, oh. I was during the the uh, intermission. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whatever gets you through. Uh, Hell's bells. Well, I kind of talked about Can already, but that was, I guess, the big new thing this year for me um, was was actually going and doing a bit of proper film festival coverage. Um, so, like I say, I was I was a little bit bummed that it wasn't full on proper usual Can in the sense that it wasn't. You know, uh, you, you wear masked up. You had to have a a PCR test basically every thirty six hours to to kind of prove that you were still allowed to be there. Uh, so the, there were limitations on it, but it was still kind of exciting to see things first and actually, you know, be able to gauge the energy in the room and observe those insane can cheers and and ovations for you know quite okay films are very very late at night. It was weird but interesting. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a couple of quick plugs now, uh, because that is it. I think pretty much for our review of the year podcast. Um, we could look ahead to 2022, but you know it may be postponed at this point. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know because at this rate, 2022 might be postponed to 2023. Uh, it might be pushed back. We we shall see what happens. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna say in terms of self-aggrandizement, uh, the Quentin Tarantino interview that I did was the first in-person interview that I did with anybody for a long, 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 long time is uh, going to be up by the time you're listening to this. I know it's been a, a little while, but we decided to hold it until just before Christmas as a special Christmassy treat for you folks. Uh, and that was a cracking one. And yeah, lots of good stuff all the way through the year. And uh, of course, you know, uh, we are about to, well, I say we're about to do episode 500 of the podcast, and we are. That is technically true. Our uh, in five episodes time, we will have episode 500 of the podcast, and uh, we are planning. We are recording this on Wednesday, 15th of December, at 19 minutes past five. We are planning to do this as a spectacular all-day live event at King's Place in London. Tickets have gone on sale today, uh, so. COVID notwithstanding, that will be going ahead on sun Saturday, February 5th, Saturday, February 5th, split into three segments. And we would love for you guys to come along to that. It's going to be incredible. And uh, so if you want to buy tickets to that, kingsplace.co.uk. That's what we are going to be doing in 2022. And it's going to be lots of good stuff coming your way. Lots of good stuff on the podcast as well. That is it for our review of the year 2021 i give this year 20 out of a possible 21 that's how good it's been <laughs> but i'm oh, not God. so sure my three colleagues of such lethal cunning will concur but it's goodbye from them Squadcast name 2021 bridges i'd like that helen o'hara toodaloo to all of you listeners and fuck you 2021 <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh it is goodbye from simply june 
Yes. Did I pronounce it correctly? You did. You did. did. Uh, I also will say fuck you to 2021, but I will say look forward to 2023 and beyond, where we will see Dune Bond 2! Oh, good God. (laughs) It will not end here. Believe it. It's goodbye from Ben T21. Ben Travis. Congratulations on surviving my rampage this year. May you have a Merry Christmas and uh, bring on 2022. The spree continues. If, if, if COVID don't get you, Benny will. That's basically how it works. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. 2021, the year we didn't make contact, uh, which is, of course, is an amusing play on Peter Hyams' 2010, the year we made contact. And it made me think if someone remade the movie that Robert Zemeckis made in 1997, you could call that year the year, uh-huh. the year we remade yeah. Contact. Yeah. See, right. I've enjoyed this this painful, <sighs> elongated explanation of the joke. It's, it's good. Thank you for listening. Genuinely, it's been amazing. And you guys and your support is the reason why we continue to do this. Yes. See you next year. Bye. Hey everyone, Chris again, just jumping in at the very, very end to say thank you so much for listening to this. And again, thank you for your support all through the year, whether you listen to the regular podcasts or subscribe to our supporter specials, your support really, really does mean a great deal to us. Uh, You may have also heard me say at the end there that the Quentin Tarantino interview would be up in time for Christmas. Then I got COVID, which was ironic given how much we were banging on about COVID uh, in the, during the recording of the Review of the Year special. In fact, I developed symptoms about four or five hours, maybe a little later, uh, after recording this special. Didn't get to Northern Ireland, had to self-isolate all over Christmas, but hey-ho, it is what it is. Anyway, what that means is it's not me for six, not my schedule back a little bit, so the Tarantino interview wasn't done in time for Christmas, but it will be done in time for New Year's Eve, which is tomorrow as you're listening to this, maybe. Uh, the 31st of December, obviously. Uh, what a lovely way to see out 2021 and see in 2022 an exclusive interview with the great Quentin Tarantino himself. Anyway, that's it for me. Just want to let you guys know. And once again, thanks for listening. Bye.